I'm so excited to hang out with you today. Yeah, hi. How are you? I'm wonderful. And I was reflecting on the time. We've spent quite a bit of time together. We have. Since I've moved here. I mean, comparatively with other friends in, in our lives. And um, it occurred to me a couple of days ago that I only know the you from the time we met to now. <laughs> right? We've spent a lot of time in really kind of deep and intimate processes and just kind of mystical experience if I if I dare um, elevate it to that but I don't really know that much about you on a practical level yeah you know it's just like backstory no idea I know the you now which has been wonderful so where do you come from what was your childhood like where'd you grow up did you have brothers and sisters yeah. Where are all the people now? <laughs> well, I grew up in Washington State and um, I was born in a naval hospital and uh, my father was in the Navy and at the age of three, four, they got divorced. My mom met somebody else and remarried when I was five. And I did not see my real father again until later on in my late 20s. So um, they raised me and uh, me and my sister Sierra welcomed another sister, Tiffany, with um, my dad, who's the person my mom married when I was five. And then... You know, I grew up on the beach. It was really beautiful. You can get really, back then, affordable property right on the beach. And I say like the moon was my best friend and the beach raised me. Um, I spent so much time down there um, with the rocks and the shells and the Pisasterocratius starfish. <laughs> Those were my favorite. So yeah, it was a lot of moon gazing and water splashing and I literally would go and braid the grass and uh, and lots of cartoons and a really fascinating um, life growing up near a naval base because there was people from all over the world. So I got exposed to so many different incredible cultures and kinds of food and it got rough around the edges in a lot of ways. There were a lot of gangs in certain areas where I grew up. So I definitely grew up in, in the, the culture of understanding gangs at a very young age from like 11 to 16. And yeah, just had a very well-rounded, fascinating, street-smart childhood. What kind of kid were you if you could be classified as, you know, preppy, stoner, jock? What, what, was your, what was your scene? Who did you hang around? What were you interested in? I was a breaker. So there were the, the skaters, <laughs> okay. the preps. Um, yeah, the jocks. I definitely hung out with the breaker crowd with like the Jankos and the Fila jackets and that. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yes, yes. Did definitely. you guys ever bust out the linoleum on the Absolutely. street? Absolutely. <laughs> you put the linoleum in the garage and you break dance every afternoon after school unless you're working. Wow. Absolutely. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. There was, there were kids in my neighborhood that were into that. I was a stoner, uh, you know, like metalhead kid. But yeah. yeah, there were there were the kids. I don't even know if Run DMC. I don't even know what they were listening to. I don't even know if rap 
I guess maybe rap yes, had just started to come out at this time. <laughs> but there would be kids in the neighborhood that had like big pieces of flooring, basically, yeah. and would be out there with the boombox doing their thing. And yeah. I hated those kids. Ah, that but was I love me. You. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> well, we all learned to overcome our differences. Were you, yeah. um, did you have, uh, were you well-behaved in school? Like what kind of girl were you? Were you well-adjusted? Yeah. Did you have problems? I was like a straight A really amazing student up until junior high. And I got myself wrapped up in just, I don't know, I just went through something where I was off kilter and I worked a lot and um, it was hard for me to focus. So I never got my homework done. I actually got kicked off the cheerleading team which, you know, I, I got some of my breakdancing friends to get in cheerleading. I was like, how cool would it be if we did it this way? Uh, so that was really fun. But yeah, I then I, my grades started to crash a little bit. And I don't know if I was dating the most level-headed people at the time. So that was an influence as well. Um, but, you know, I, I, I explored life. Nobody will say I haven't explored so many different paths. Um, when I got into high school, I started dating this other guy, Adam. He was a really good influence on me. And he lived um, in this place called Kirkland, Washington. And his family was really, really lovely. And it was a very grounding experience for me. Um, yeah, at that point, I started getting more into school clubs and starting to run organizations. And uh, I was getting involved in broadcasting at that point. And I was like, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to be a broadcast journalist. And uh, Mr. Tracewell and Miss Johannesson were the best teachers and they were such incredible influences as well. It's amazing how a few good teachers can really help you turn your life around or like the right relationship. So yeah, high school was some beautiful influences. Um, I got just really passionate about activism. And actually, that's one thing I've always been from like the age of five. Just such a tree hugger, my parents called me. I was <laughs> so concerned about the earth all the time, but that's because I was out there with the beach and it's like, I don't want to see trash on the beach. And actually, I even tested the water. You know, I'm getting into like the, the nooks and crannies, but I was a very passionate activist for the earth. And, um, and yeah, as I got into high school, I just got into a little more governance within the school and raise those grades. Even still though, I didn't get into the college I wanted. So I had to go drive to the college and take tell them they were making an incredibly big mistake. And they actually let me in. So Washington State University, I haven't told my mom yet that I never actually got accepted properly. <laughs> <laughs> but you learned how to advocate for yourself. So yeah, I drove six hours. I was like, I'm going to go stay at a friend's house. Actually, I'm going to drive six hours and go tell the college they made a big mistake. And actually, this, this is kind of the way that I was in college too. I worked so much. I didn't have time for homework. But I worked at a sociological research center. I was president of the AWC, Association for Women in Communications. I was secretary of, uh, oh, what was the journalist group? 
So, so many things in college that I was just making happen and taking people on trips and helping people learn how to get jobs that even though I had like a C plus average, I was the second ever student of the month for the college. So <laughs> Well played. I was like, yeah, thanks for letting me in. You know, it's for me, it wasn't, and it never has based on the way that I've grown up been about book smarts. It's about shifting passion into pleasure. And when you are in your passion and there's something that you're super passionate about, you're going to put all your time and energy into learning everything about it in your own unique way. I was always very much against the grain of whatever everybody else was learning. I wanted to go deeper and different and learn from experience myself. I question everything. So for me, that's one of the qualities I really enjoy about you. Thank you. A kindred spirit and not just assuming reality is as it seems. No, I'm like the student (laughs) of, okay, I'm going to college. Who, which company paid for me to take this class? And uh, yeah, I, I go all the way down. I'm like, why am I learning this information? And, you know, is it worth the very small amount of time that I have? Because I was working and I did have a relationship. I had a relationship throughout all of college. And then we actually moved together to California. To LA? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. When you yeah. were a little girl or a teenage girl, did you envision yourself becoming an adult woman with six kids? Or was kids like part of your dream motherhood in the plans early on? No. No, I, uh, I never really thought about it. I thought, you know, I, I'll probably have kids when I'm 27. I, you know what I always knew? I always knew I'd have an incredible husband. I was like, I am going to have an incredible husband. He's going to treat me really well. And we're going to have an amazing life together. I always knew that. Well, you got that part right. I did get that part right. (laughs) I did. You got a great man. And I had a feeling I would have kids at 27. And I said it all the time. And uh, I got pregnant with Olivia at 27. I had her when I was 28. Really? Yeah. Wow. But I never thought six, you know? Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I find most fascinating about you. uh, Going to your property and just seen the orchestration of your family. <laughs> so what was your plan when you moved to LA? So I went to school to be a broadcast medical journalist. And part of that education was learning how shady the medical broadcast journalism industry is. And I didn't know how I felt about it. But all I knew is we were going to go to LA And I was going to work at Banana Republic to get a discount on my business clothes. (laughs) And so that's what I did. Nice. And when I was working there, I started another job as well, working as a nutritional and vitamin advisor at a family-owned compounding pharmacy, Rancho Park Compounding Pharmacy, which is now closed. Um, They had incredible pharmacists there. Bert, the guy that owns it, was so helpful. And he would sit me down and he was like, here's a bunch of studies to read. And, you know, I also worked the cash register. It was like very much a team effort. But if you came in to get a statin drug, I'm probably going to tell you to get milk thistle as well. So um, that was a bit of that. And then at that point, Barbara Bursell was somebody that would come in and she's a big, huge casting director. And she kind of lured me into the industry a little bit. I don't want to say lure. She was so much fun. 
Um, so I, I ended up doing some casting with her and I helped her with that. And I had like maybe like a six month stint in the industry where, um, cause I booked my very first audition. It was wild. Like it's actually a crazy story. So I'm not a model, but I pretended to be for a minute and I went to this audition. It was my first experience and it was for Physicians Formula Makeup. And it was like a two hour line of women and they were all tall and stunning and just like poised and they were dressed a certain way and their makeup was a certain way. And I arrived and I was wearing um, Adidas slides, Adidas track pants with the street three stripes, a tank top and like a brown cardigan sweater over it. And I had my hair leg up in a messy bun. And I was like, crap. Like, oh, what am I <laughs> doing here? And then I saw them and they're all, you know, looking like this, looking like this this and this. And there's an art to it. And they were doing it and they were beautiful and captivating. I'm like, shoot. So I just like tried to pretend like I had it together and I knew what I was doing and I did it. And they called me and I booked the thing. I was like, whoa. And my mom was so psyched because every time she walked in to the pharmacy that she worked at, she's a pharmacist technician. She always saw like a little poster set up of me. I was like in every pharmacy on a billboard, on a bus. It was like very cool and very cool experience to have as a 20 something year old. So I kept with it. I did a Lionel Richie music video. I call it love. If you want to see, I'm the one playing Nicole Richie's snooty, snobby friend um, with Adam Rodriguez. That was so fun. And now I'm like, I love Adam Rodriguez's wife and kids. It's funny how you like grow up and people weave back in. But yeah, so that's like the early days of Kimberly. I went from breaker girl to like hyper responsible and running the show and like, you know, just wheeling and dealing to get myself caught up in life because I felt like I really, you know, wasted years in junior high, which I didn't. They were so sacred and actually so many beautiful lessons and depth of self and compassion and understanding of others happened there. But that's how I looked at it at the time. And then I went into the industry like that. And from there, I just... I made business happen. I worked at a production company after that, um, doing communications and publicity. I started building green homes. Um, I I worked with Adrian Grenier on one. I brought him in and he helped to get it on as a show on Discovery Network. It's called Alter Eco. And you will not see me once on that. I was in the office like building the house with products and making the calls and just making the whole thing happen. Um, and then I started working with Jeff Skoll, who is incredible. Um, he's the co-founding president of eBay. And uh, I worked with him in strategy and communications. And that was such a profoundly amazing experience to see how he works and how he operates and working with world leaders and you know the people that started microfinancing and his organization, Jeff School Group. He's just such a beautiful human and still a very dear friend. And it was just such an incredible gift. I mean, to work with a philanthropic billionaire, he, he gives more money away 
than anybody I've ever met. And, and he does it in such a beautiful process. So it, it was just such a, a great experience in my life. What's it been like to take a pause for all of these years? Because you're obviously a driven and talented person, right? It's like, for whatever reason, you found success in all these different things uh, in which you became interested. What's it been like to take a pause to be married and have all these kids? Well, I met James when I was working with Jeff. And... I was like, oh, this is a problem. Like, I'm going to really fall for this guy. So I started pushing him away right away. Um, I'm like, I'm not ready. You know, I just, no career. <laughs> you know, But it took him a good five days to make me really fall head over heels. And that was it. And then it was done. And, um, and then, you know, we know how these things work. I got pregnant after six months. And... It took me probably three children to learn how to be super present and just go right into being a mother. So Olivia, when she was born, it was just such a sacred, beautiful experience. One, to watch him become a father and one for her to teach me how to be a mother. And um, just really learning to my own instinctual processes. But it was a gradual thing to coming into full acceptance. And one of the beautiful things about pregnancy is that it just opens the chakra system wide open. A lot of people would say you're pregnant and emotional or, you know, moody. People say, for me, I'm like, it's so beautiful. Your whole system is blasted wide open. You have this super deep connection to something inside of you. And it is just like, yes, of course, there are going to be so many feelings in that. And it just feels so strongly and so beautifully. And Olivia was my antenna to first start recognizing that I was having incredibly psychic dreams. And so she opened up this huge thing for me, um, which, which became the start of my unraveling my intuitive journey. Um, when Joshua was born, we moved to another house. And the beautiful thing about him is like, I wanted to have a home birth with Olivia but I was scared into having a hospital birth with all the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. But my heart really was like, I want to do this at home. And I found out Joshua was breech. And so they said, you have to have a cesarean. And, you know, if I felt like I had to have a cesarean and, um, and maybe that is the best option for some people, but something was really bumping for me. My mom had my sister breech and you know, I magnetized this doctor in. Um, and I, by the way, Dr. Elliot Berlin in LA, if anybody has a, a breech baby, he's incredible. Sometimes he can help churn them. He's amazing. Um, but, you know, I got connected to Dr. Stuart Fishbein and I had my first home birth with Joshua. So he birthed another part of me. And that was the part of me that's like really listening deeply to my heart. So each baby like births a new thing. Olivia was the opening of my intuition. Joshua was like, let's listen to your heart, what your heart wants. And, you know, magnetize those experiences into your life. Um, 
And even still, I thought, oh, I'm going to be working. And, you know, and I, and I was just like, and nothing really would manifest because really my heart really needed to be right there with my kids. That's not the case for everybody. That was the case for me. And I think that's really important to say too, because motherhood, life, parenting, all of it, we all, we all have such unique journeys. Not even every pregnancy, I've had six children. Not even every pregnancy is the same. Every kid is completely and uniquely different. So it's like really just honoring a process. Um, it was with Annabelle. Uh, I gave James a run for it. <laughs> I was pregnant with her eight months and we were up living on the top of Maholland and I looked at him and I said, we need to move in two weeks. He's like, what? Yes, I will not have a baby up here. I definitely am not having a baby up here. My heart was like, no, and follow it. And so um, James was a saint and... Uh, there's a whole magical tale. Maybe James can come on and tell you about how we found this house. It was 333 Roxbury. And we ended up birthing three children in the home at Roxbury. Wow. And yeah. So wow. that was where I birthed Annabelle and later Amelia and then Gwen. And that was also the birthing of me really sinking really deeply into motherhood in another way. I've always looked at a parent as like the teacher and guardian of this soul that yeah. wants to come in. And I had one experience in a ceremony wherein I was in communication with this soul and I was communicating it. I was communicating my intention to it to be willing to play that role. And it essentially said to me, you don't get it. <laughs> what's, what's happening here is... I want to come in to be your teacher. So the question is, who's really the teacher, right? Because you mentioned you learned this from this one and that from that one and that from that one, right? Oh, is, yeah. it, is it equal measure? Are you both each other's teachers? How does that, how does that work on a, on a soul level? I would like to utilize the dancing metaphor, right? So... I think it's a dance and, you know, one person swings and turns and the other person catches and leads and, you know, it's a dance. It's really a dance because the parent-child relationship is a co-creation. But I think with parenting, it's important that when we lead, we're allowing the, the human that we're leading to like flourish and to spin and to twirl and to watch their movements and see where they're excelling and maybe do a little more of this and that. And maybe hear that if they're saying, hey, I want another twirl or I want to dip me or, you know, that, that it's really like a beautiful communicative dance that you're having. Um, so, you know, a parent sets the container and the parameters and the rules and also is a deep listener, right? Uh, if we are not having a domineering relationship with our children. I think that's really important. And if you do have a domineering relationship with your child, it's like, okay, I get it. Like it's, it, you know, it's just like, you got to be real with yourself. And we all go through these experiences. Like I've gone through experiences where 
I feel like I did everything wrong and I've learned so much. And now six kids later, I feel like I'm doing a lot of things right. And yet I'm still learning because it's a different energy and a different human. So Olivia, you know, she was up all night at three o'clock, colicky in the morning you know, it was so difficult. And at one point I was like, I cannot do this. I put her in front of a swing with Yo Gabba Gabba, like kind of stunned her to stop. And she swung. And I'm like, this is the most irresponsible thing, but I need to sleep so badly. And, you know, now fast forward, Jeremiah, he's got his own thing. He bites all the time. <laughs> really? I'm like, he's my first kid and he's biting me. I have bites on my boob, oh, like man. bite marks from him. I'm like, what are you doing? And he thinks it's hilarious, you know? Oh, so God. my style of parenting with him needs to be totally different. But like, I would never dare do anything. Well, I, would, I wouldn't say anything, but a lot of the things I was doing with Olivia, like I have really learned along the way. That's why it's one of my favorite subjects to talk about. Because if I could help somebody just have a little bit of a advice and awareness maybe because when you're in a, a parent and you have no sleep, yeah, you have incredible instincts and also sometimes you're not sleeping. So there's a certain like wired and tired that comes with that. But I like to save parents some time if I can. Well, that's that's why I wanted to do this episode with yeah. you. I couldn't think of a better person. Who has, well, I don't know a person with more experience just by sheer numbers. And also just seeing the way that you and both James interact with your kids. And I don't want to use the term well-behaved because that's not the right way to say it. But your kids are just vibrant, beautiful, fun, cool, free. I mean, they come in and out of the picture when we're hanging out over there. And I'm just like, whatever you're doing, you're doing it right. If there is a right, because it's, it's working, right? By their fruits, you shall know them. I have some tips. And that's not, yeah. So you got, you got codes. I, I have some codes. tips. Would you like me to share? Lay them, lay them on us. Yeah. So the first one is truthful discussions with deep listening, right? So let's take childbirth, for example. My kids know that a baby comes out of the vagina and... There are three holes down there. So there's, there's information they know, right? So that's what one age can handle. And as they get older, they can handle more. So know your audience, how old they are and what their capacity is, right? Tell um, that to the public school system right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Yeah. <laughs> so Maybe it's you need like, to get back into uh, you know, advocacy and politics. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Well, so, so when we take childbirth, um, honesty and truthfulness. It's not, I have a baby in my tummy and I'm going to the hospital and it's coming out. I like was birthing stuffed animals for months before um, Joshua was born, you know, showing Olivia what was going to happen. And I welcomed my children into the home births as well. So for me, it was like, here's life and you're welcome to it and you can handle it. And it's really beautiful um, in these ways they can handle uh, when it comes to subject matter, like you have to teach children safety and parameters as well, but you want to terrify them. But, you know, I watched this video of, this is going to get a little darker, of this guy trying to walk out with a kid that was 
just outside of her own family door taking out trash. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Gnarly. It's gnarly. And I don't. I don't wish violence on people, but when I saw that, I was like, I would fucking kill that guy. Well, it was a young. It was a young child. Yeah. So I'm like, well, oh my god, you know, your child could be right there. So how do you prepare your child for the real world and when they're not really developmentally ready? To know that that kind of thing happens. So it's just having honest discussions with them. Like sometimes things get a little crazy or people aren't completely with it. And we teach compassion and we teach parameters. You stay, I need you to stay with an eyesight or I need you to stay right by me or I need you to know that when we're at the airport, we're always connected. So eye to eye, we know. And, you know, we work and maneuver as a team, team with James. But also when you do that, they learn to develop a trust with you and that you got them. And then when it comes to friends, right, I want to know everything. So our first role is if somebody tells you not to tell me, that is the most important thing to tell me. But if it's about your friend's crush or something like that, I'll say, okay, somebody asked you not to tell me something. What is the subject? Oh, it's a crush? Keep that private because that's information that it's it's good for you to keep privacy in a secret. You're a bolt. That is what a beautiful, good friend does. If it has to do with somebody hurting or pain or something else, then I'll know if that's something you should tell me. But I keep their privacy. My kids will tell me anything and they will never have to worry about me going and telling another parent because if it's an emergency situation and I need to do that, I talk to my friend or I talk to my child. We now have trust and I let them know why I would need to do that. And then it's a, it's a conversation on the result that happens. So my kids will talk to me about anything. They know they can completely trust me and that there are sacred containers in that trust. I think that is the number one thing. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's really important and they they yeah. will tell me everything. Yeah, that's beautiful. And also, um, <laughs> I have a bunch of things I want to get to on my list, but I'm getting other ideas as we go, so I'm just going to roll with it. Um, when I did a podcast with uh, Gabor Mate, we were talking about... Um, abuse that I experienced as a kid. And he was telling me that um, predators choose their victims based on the bond that they have between their parents, right? And that if, if a kid doesn't have that kind of open communication and rapport and trust with the parent, that's like a beacon for harm, essentially, because yeah. it's like they're like a, you know, the wounded gazelle that's kind of separated from the herd and doesn't have that protection. But it's it's like he was explaining how kids are left alone, and you know, I want to make this a conversation about predators of kids, but it is part of the experience of parenting. It is part of my own experience of being a child. Um, so that really stuck with me, you know, how important that is. I mean, not only for the development of your relationship and the kid's, you know, life to follow, but in terms of like creating safety for a kid, which is even though I don't have one yet, that is already my priority. Yeah. You know, and especially because there were situations in my life where I wasn't safe, a lot of them, 
you know, my worst fears are also that I'm unable to provide that. So I'm always keenly listening to that part of it and also just watching the way the world is now, seeing videos like that and yeah. just the craziness that's going on in the world. Um, but I think I, you it know, always has been, but we haven't always had the videos. Right, right, right? totally, yeah. yeah. So I like, I like this idea of, it's like honoring a kid as a sovereign soul, right? Yeah. That it's not like because a kid doesn't have an education or is just learning to talk that their experience is not valid or that they don't have wisdom carried over yeah. from who they were before they came here this time around, right? So it's like, it seems like it's a balance between honoring them as a sovereign soul and you finding the parameters by which you help guide and protect them. And it sounds like this open, trusting communication is a huge part of that. It's a huge part of that. And going into safety is is a big one because you have to keep kids safe and yet you're teaching them how to have life outside of you. So you don't want them leaving the house and going to the bathroom by themselves for the first time, you know? And so it's like also just being super deeply in your intuitive nature and teaching your kids how to do the same so that they're like, I'm feeling like I shouldn't be going outside in this moment or just, you know, understanding their own intuition, which we can do 10 other podcasts on that. But um, I also like to use the tree analogy um, as to like when to not be overbearing and, you know, with your safety and to like maybe take a moment and see where maybe your own trauma is coming in. And I like to compare it to the tree. So my kids are tree climbers and... Sometimes they climb so high, like a couple stories high in trees. People are like, do you know your kids are in the tree? Or, oh my God, or their kids would want to follow my kids in the tree. And maybe they wouldn't do so as safely because that starts at a really young age to do it safely. So for example, Olivia started climbing the tree. Josh was like, mom, I want to climb the tree. I can't reach the first branch. What do you do? You take your kid, you put them in the first branch, let them, because you know, the first branch is this high. Absolutely not. Like, I understand you really want to climb the tree. This looks really fun, doesn't it? Maybe we need to find a tree with a lower branch because if you can't get to that first branch, then you can't get down by yourself. So when you are able to climb to the first branch, then you know you can climb this tree. And so it took Joshua six or seven months to be able to climb up to that first branch. And then he did. And he got up there and he was like, I can't get down. It was like, let's take a look at what's happening. <laughs> you put your foot here. What do you think you should do next? Next, And asking questions. But through my observation, what happens, what can happen is a kid is in a tree. Their parent is down here. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. What happens when that parent says, be careful? The child starts going outside of themselves to pay attention to the parent that is right over here instead of being one with the tree. And now it's a lot less safe because before, and this is something Olivia did really, really well. It's like you become one with the tree. You get to know each branch, how, what it feels like. And you start to feel responsible for your own well-being and your own safety. And you watch your kids self-manage or ask for help when they need it. But what I've seen, and I've just seen it time and time again, is when a parent pulls them out of their own 
relationship with the tree, the kids become a little bit more reckless because my parent has me, right? And I feel like that is a really solid way to develop trust with a child too. It's like, I trust you to make these decisions. And you can have the conversation before you go on the tree, you know, if you're going to go in that tree, you're responsible for yourself in that tree. And you can ask me for help if you need it. But you know, what are the things that you need to be aware of? What is the branch way? Because once you get in that tree, it's all you, you know? And that's just like a little microcosm for life. And it sounds so trivial and silly maybe, but if you go to a friend's house, now you're on my your own. I'm not there. So how are you going to manage what you do? And how are you going to manage the conversations? And if a dangerous situation is present, what are you going to do? I've always been a fan of pomegranate, but I had no idea it contained one of the most powerful compounds in the world for mitochondria. It's called urolithin A, and it's incredible for mitophagy. Or put more simply, the way your body discards old dysfunctional mitochondria. The thing is that you'd have to eat ridiculous amounts of pomegranate to get a clinically effective dose of this urolithin A. That's why I get mine in a product called MitoPure, available in a berry powder, protein powder, and soft gels. Super easy to take and adopt into your daily routine. MitoPure is a breakthrough postbiotic that activates your body's natural defense against aging. It's also the first product on the market to offer a precise dose of urolithin A to upgrade mitochondrial function, increase cellular energy, and improve muscle strength. MitoPure is the result of 10 years of research by scientists at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, and its clinically proven benefits are available for the first time in the U.S. through Timeline Nutrition. To learn even more about the science of MitoPure, go back and check out episode 389 with Dr. Chris Wrench. It's a mitochondria geek out of the highest order of magnitude and helps simplify this complex topic. And in the meantime, as a special offer for you listeners, you can use the promo code LUKE10 to get 10% off any 2, 4, or 12-month MitoPure plan at TimelineNutrition.com. And by the way, I highly suggest the starter pack, which lets you try all three forms of MitoPure. Again, that's TimelineNutrition.com, and your code is LUKE10. really big, really important conversation with my kids because there was this study where um, these people came and they brought their children and they said, hey, you're, you're going to go to this other building. You're going to have to drive to it. One of you needs to drive. And this guy was like part of the study. He knew what was going on. The kids didn't. And then this one kid that was part of the study comes in. He's like, hey, I'm going to drive. And like, yeah, I had a little drink and like, you know, just like, <laughs> cool. In the study, every single group let that kid drive. There was only one kid that said something and she was like, are you sure you should be driving? He's like, yeah. And she's like, okay, well, I'm going to sit in the front seat just to make sure you're cool. Well, that front passenger seat is the most dangerous seat. So I like see these videos and I say to my kids, like, this is what happened. Why do you think that none of the kids spoke up for their own well-being? And just ask them questions. Like, just ask them. And they'll start to brainstorm and critical think on their own in beautiful ways. And they'll talk to each other about it. And that's one of the things I love doing with James is like honesty. Like, I'm seeing an issue, potential issue in childhood, and I want to bring it to your attention. And 
Like, where do you think this went wrong? And just empower them. And it's not that my kids make every decision right, but I do believe that you can really raise critical thinkers by giving them space to be themselves. And that is a really empowering thing to do. It sounds like just asking questions is often foreign in the dynamic between parents and kids, right? It's like that you mentioned domineering before. Yeah. It's like parents often assume the role of the all-knowing, right? And and not asking questions. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know, I like that encouraging yeah. the curiosity and and breeding that critical thinking. Yeah, well, we were the because I said so generation, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, for me, it's like, if they're like, well, I don't you know, want to do that. And it's like, well, here's my reason why I'm asking that. You know, this situation could potentially blah, 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 blah. Do you have another idea? If you had a better idea, I'm open, you know, but got to keep you safe. How, um, in the process of your first kid to your sixth, how has your use of language changed? Like going back to the, you know, the kids in danger who's climbed up really far on the tree. I've, I've heard some kind of conscious parenting people talk about this where say, oh, you know, get, get out of the tree. You're going to hurt yourself or don't fall, slow down. It's like you're using the language of the thing you don't want to happen, right? It's like an NLP kind of thing almost, yeah. right? Where you're like, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt yourself. What are they going to do? They're going to hurt themselves. How do you work with language and how much of that is conscious? So we all have to catch ourselves because in a moment you scream like, be careful. Well, what does be careful mean, right? And even I do that. If you're running at the pool, it's like, hey, that pool is really slippery right there. So I want you to walk. or can you be aware of how slippery that pool is? Or you may be able to run like that around the pool, but if Jeremiah sees you and he starts running around the pool, what do you think can happen? You know, it's like, so, but in a moment sometimes of hyper activity, you know, you you whip out whatever instinctual thing comes out. And sometimes it's just that because it's- Sometimes like just you're going to fall. <laughs> yeah, don't fall. Don't, you know, and it just comes out. But like- you know, I find that our breath, and listen, this is me at my highest, you know, sitting on a chair talking about a situation, not actually in it, right? But if I'm consciously aware of myself in a moment or watching myself, and I do try to do that sometimes, it's like first thing is the breath. Next thing is like pull kids over and talk to them if you can. But you never know. I mean, like you have to be so forgiving of yourself as a parent. I've screwed up so many times on so many occasions and and you just learn so much from them that you accept them as part of your life training and it's not really ever a screw up anyway. You've done a lot of work on yourself. So much. And, uh, you know, as evidenced by the time we've spent together and just your depth as a woman. Mm. And so I can assume in the work that you've done, you've inherently, whether intentionally or not, learned how to self-regulate and manage your emotions and your nervous system, mm. right? Like you, you know, you, through years of meditation or whatever other practices, you gain this gift of self-awareness and witness consciousness, right? Where you feel emotions welling up in your body and there's an observer, kind of adult in the room, your higher self, you could say, that's like, okay, cool. Let's, let's manage this. Yeah. In other words, where you're not as reactive and things like that. Uh, do you 
what's been your experience of your kids co-regulating how mm. you respond to situations based on the ability that you've gained to do that for yourself? Okay, so a few things. I am really great at self-regulating and I have these tipping points where if I go over, I like lose it. So I'm not perfect there. And I feel like all of us Reds heads have that kind of like fire capacity. <laughs> it's just a thing that we have. Um, nobody triggers it quite like James. <laughs> and also James and I have like this super romantic, passionate relationship. And like also like he's the one that can get it out of me. So on the occasions that I'm not, my kids actually come in and are like, mom, take a deep breath. Because that's my language with them. And so I really appreciate that. And it's like, oh yeah, let me use those tools that I have, you know? But usually I can observe and that process of when I'm in a beautiful place. And I have these very often where, you know, you feel a trigger. I think the first thing is like recognizing where your triggers are coming from. So if there's moments where I catch myself not um, in my center, I'm like, ah, ah, what's the pattern? What's the trigger? And you try to get ahead of it next time. And like, use, I've been using my voice more. So if I feel, you know, there's meditation and everything, it's all great, but I love the throat chakra for this stuff. It's like, I feel like I need a minute right now because I just need to like go take a breath, bring it back in and just create space, you know? Um, lots of parents are very familiar with going to the bathroom because you need a minute, not because you need to go to the bathroom. That's like, that's definitely a parenting thing. It's like, I'm going to go to the bathroom and just like, so. Is that why you started a podcast in a bathroom? <laughs> that's your the safe bathroom space. is incredible. <laughs> it is a safe space for many things. <laughs> yes. Bathroom Chronicles, guys. It's my podcast. Um, I listened to it this morning. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, one? Yeah. Uh, the one with James. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. That was powerful. I'm about three quarters through. And I, I purposely didn't even bring in any of that stuff that you guys talked about because it's a whole other animal. But yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. That was a potent episode. Yeah. So, you know, there is breath work and there is meditation, but in parenting and around triggers and like self-observation, it's a conversation that you have inside. It's like, and, and, and if you find that your body, so there's two things. There's like your emotional well-being and then there's your body. So your body may feel tense or it may feel, ah, and you can maybe emotionally regulate, but what does your body need? Sometimes it just needs to unwind and it just needs like even 30 seconds. And with six kids, sometimes you can have five seconds, you know, just, and it's a practice. It's a practice of catching yourself right before or catching yourself during. And I love, I love when I screw up. I really love when I screw up around my kids because my kids are going to screw up. And I'm like, opportunity, you know? Um, so for example, one of my kids today was like invading my space in a big, big way and just wanting to touch my boobs and everything because they're a child and that's what kids do. 
And I was like, ah, opportunity to teach body sovereignty. You know, just this is my body. I'm not giving you permission to touch it right now. Okay. And just like, but mom, but mom. I was very clear on what I said and I'm very clear on how my body feels right now. And I'm asking you that I need space at the moment. Okay. I need this for myself. Just very clear, very direct. And, um, or like if I yell or shout, just coming back and you know what? That is not how I want to react. I don't want to yell. I don't want to shout. I got to a point of overwhelm. I could have probably walked away earlier and took a breath instead. Um, And I'm so sorry if that affected you. Um, You know, but having those conversations, if we're never screwing up, then how are we teaching our kids what to do when they screw up? It's like we have to lead by example. So screwing up is is really an opportunity. It goes back to that honesty too. I think that's something that I've observed with um, your and James' parenting style. Mm. It's like not, you know, you're treating kids like kids only to the point that it's necessary, right? Yeah. Right? Like there's certain things they don't understand. There's certain parameters they need in order to be safe. And of course, you're you're teaching them, you're informing their character and things like that. But I I think there's a sense of um, equality in that, mm. you know, communicating openly and honestly and kind of owning your humanity. And what I hear as you describe that is it's like teaching by modeling, not by teaching, right? You're just being an integrated person who's working on themselves and improving and acknowledging your faults and forgiving yourself for those faults. It's like I'm putting myself in the position of one of your kids, like watching you going, oh, that's how you human. Yeah. Right. It's like by by just doing as imperfect as it is and not hiding it and pretending like I'm the parent and I have my shit together, right? Yeah. Exactly, cuz who actually has their shit all the way together? 0% of the Nobody human population. Nobody has their shit all the way together. If somebody's coming on your podcast saying I got my shit together, you say you're a liar too, huh? Yeah. You know, yeah. no. It's um we have it together in whatever way that we can. And and that's true. I just prefer to have really open, honest conversations. And what about um, teaching kids how to express their emotions in a healthy way, honoring their emotions, but not letting it just become a runaway train and giving them a license to be little maniacs? Every kid is so different. And so that's where your intuitive nature and just, you know, trying different ways will come in. I have one child that will not tell me anything unless I am sharing with her the depths of myself. So if I start sharing with her maybe a tough time that I've been through or or something like that, it's the only time she ever opens up to me. And like for her, that's what she needs to set the stage is like that sort of depth of vulnerability and sincerity. And that's when she shares. Otherwise, she like really stuffs things in. And I have to say like, it looks like you have a lot on your mind. Like, no, you know. So you'll know if your kid has things to express or not. If you just give yourself time to look at it. Sometimes we get so busy. It's like, you know, we just don't ask the question how the kids are doing. And sometimes I get caught up and a a child pings me in my head. And I'm like, ah, I haven't like really done a good check-in with them lately. But... A good way to check in is to go to doing whatever it is that they like to do. So 
you know, I'm not in love with video games, but if your kid loves video games, you can hop on a video game with them and like see what conversations happen in that space. You know, whatever it is that they like really enjoy to come in on that level and, uh, and connect in that way, I find that they're more willing to express. How much influence do you have over a kid's interests and passions? Well... Like Joshua is obsessed with his bearded dragon. I forget the name of Charla. Charla, yeah. And your wife Allison is Charla's godmother. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. was like, Josh, you know how to choose a godmother for Charla because yeah. you chose the animal power woman. I like, <laughs> I like, I like that one because when I was his age and many years before and after, I was obsessed yeah. with catching reptiles and amphibians. I still I still try to catch lizards. I'm just way too slow now. Oh, yeah. But I mean, you know... They got you covered. Did he just figure that out on his own or did you guys put a reptile book in his hands? You know, like how one is going toward music and art and one really likes math. Like how much of that is predetermined and how much of it... Well, I think you can you force lead? a passion on somebody. That's for sure. I'm, this is such a dance, Luke, because I struggle with this myself. It's like my kids will show an interest in something and then they change their mind. And I'm like, no, I need follow through. Like if you want to learn violin, I need you to follow through for a year because there's that hump that you got to get over before it becomes really fun. Right. So it's like a practice of discipline. And each day you take one step and you look back, you're like, I walked really far. I need to teach them how to like, that's where teaching actually happens. That's where parameters actually happen. But, you know, what they asked, violin, right? So it's like music is so much a part of life. It's the human experience, it's joy, it's play. Like, what do you want to learn? Okay, we're going to stick to that. But they really do come in with their own unique ideas. And I think sometimes we look at it as, oh, they happened to go to this thing and they found this passion. But I think that thing found them, that event found them to activate what they want to know. I think we magnetize experiences to us for who we are. So I really believe that's all really built in. I ask that in part because I've, <laughs> I've thought about this sometimes. Yeah. When I see parents taking their kids to sports events and stuff, yeah. I'm like, you know, I mean, first we have to have the kid. We're working on that, right? But let's yeah. just assume that that is going to happen. I'm like, please, kid, soul, please, God, don't be into sports because I hate sports. <laughs> like, I'm sure it's really cute when it's your kid at the soccer game, but literally like watching sports is like, <laughs> I, would, I would rather get a root canal than like have anything to do with any sport on the planet. Can I tell you my example with that? Yeah. I had three kids wanting to play soccer. I'm like, seriously? My whole weekend is soccer games. Every single weekend, the whole weekend. And during COVID, I was like, soccer. <laughs> like, yes. And then I, I started relate. having guilt things. And then one of my children was like, we'd put him in sports camp. And she's like, you know what? I don't think I like soccer. I was like, and I, I will love going to a game and playing soccer, but I just don't want soccer games times six on the weekends because I, I got six kids. But that, that, yeah. That would be challenging. Yeah. I just, you know, I wonder about just kids' proclivity towards certain talents and interests and things like that. And I just think like, 
how many kids are there that get into shit that their parents have no interest in or that their parents detest, you know what I mean? Like say your kid wants, you mentioned violin, like say your kid becomes obsessed with drums and so you're like, well, you know, I'm going to get him a drum kit. Like what a nightmare that would be to have a kid banging, banging on a drum kit in the other room, you know? Joshua but, loves drums. We're having this discussion right now. It's time to get him some again. Okay. But then you look at videos where there are guys on the street playing the most magical sounding thing with pots and pans and things they find the, around the house, I think a kid is always going to find their passion if if they have space to. You know, also, like, how about the break dancers on the linoleum, right? You figure yeah. it out. You yeah. figure it out. Yeah, you do. Um, what's it been like for your kids that are old enough to remember living in Los Angeles to make the transition to Texas? And for those... Uh, listening, you guys, I mean, it's not like you live in the boonies, boonies, but you have a big ass property. We, I think we call it the ranch. Yeah. yeah. We call it the ranch. Uh, Alice and I, at least, we're going over to the Vanderbeek Ranch. Yeah, that's the word she uses. Um, it must be such a different experience for them. Was there a period of adjustment where they got bored because there's, you know, they can't run down the street to the playground or whatever they were doing back in LA? Yeah, there are things I miss about LA. We, we definitely would walk as a family or skateboard to uh, this one street with restaurants and it was so fun. And sometimes I hear the board comments, but usually they're having a great time in the barn or running around the field and playing. And James just started building swing sets. So we're integrating more and more and more into the ranch. Um, A lot of times they prefer the ranch. Like they, they really do love it, but we all have our little quirks that we miss about LA, including some people I love. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they have friends food that deli- they loved so food dearly. De- good food delivery. <laughs> Postmates. I don't get Postmates yeah. where I'm at. Uh, I'm you like, guys oh. live pretty far out here. That's one thing we, I mean, hey, this is first, I should Postmates first world here. problem. But when we, when we moved to this neighborhood, we're out for those listening again, we're uh, outside of Austin, like a half an hour. So there's not really any organic food out here. You know, it's, it's all very seed oil and uh, glyphosate heavy slop. A lot of it is in LA as well. Yeah, I mean, but you know, you you do have you got Options. Air One, yeah. If you want to go Air spend One. forty dollars on a smoothie, Moon Juice, yeah. yeah, yeah. What about for you? What's it been like to? I mean, you guys aren't exactly homesteading. I mean, you have electricity and stuff like that, but it's 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 rugged out there. I mean, yeah. I remember one day went over and James was like, ah, oh, we ran out of water. You know, some pump in the well went out. And he's like, yeah, we have no water on the property. I'm like, what? No water? You know? That's happened on many occasions. <laughs> really? Yeah, James is like. James is amazing. I don't think, I don't know if too many people could actually do what we're doing. Um, we love it. I love it. We love it. It's it's crazy sometimes. And sometimes I'm like, take me to like a hotel, you know? But it's like scorpions and tarantulas and snakes and porcupines and the dogs getting porcupine. Where oh, has that happened? Many oh. times. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. gnarly. It's gnarly. And so there's like, it's funny too because they don't learn. My they dad's don't my learn. dad's hunting dogs used to do that. And I'm like, oh, well, they'll never do that again. You spend three hours pulling all the quills out, and then two months later they go and get another one. It's gnarly. <laughs> and in fact, we've actually two of the occasions had to take them to the vet. They've just had way oh, too many quills man. in their face and in in their ah, oh, it's a whole thing. But 
it, listen, it's a completely different life than the one that we were living and we're very welcoming of it. I prefer my favorite spot is in this cavern on the land and then the driveway. My favorite thing is just taking really long driveway walks with like the Texas winds on you. And I just, I feel like that's heaven. I had one of those down your driveway the other day and the wildflowers were blooming. And I was like, oh, this is so much nicer than walking around a neighborhood. Yeah. You know, and you, and you could just go walk out in the field too, which, you know, I've done. We did a sweat lodge on your property. I've had some really magical experiences just out on the land. Yeah. But the driveway beautiful. is cool. And the driveway is yeah. so fun. And I, the fire pit and just having yeah. a bunch of friends around with a guitar. It's a different way of life. But, you know, not I a, dig it. Not a lot of people know this, except for the people that came to our house. We kind of lived this like secret, as much ranch life as you could in the middle of Beverly Hills. So, in the middle of Beverly Hills, James would make a fire and he would put a, a grate on it and he would cook on the fire. So this didn't start for him in Texas. This started for him in Beverly Hills. And we would be outside all the time and still figuring out trees to climb and like, you know, making my own milks. And we had a tiny little garden. And so uh, I feel like I was prepping for this a little bit to whatever degree that I could. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about your kids and the transition and what a different life it is. I I bet that it's, so I'm thinking back, of course, you know, I can refer to my own experience, but I, I lived out in the country when I was a kid and especially with my dad, he lived just in the middle of nowhere in Colorado, about like equal to how you guys live, like that rural. And I was so lonely and I always hated it. I always wanted to be in the city. My mom lived like outside of San Francisco and I just always wanted to be in the city. But I think for your kids, it's probably way cooler because they have a bunch of brothers and sisters, right? It's like they have people to play with. They're not just sitting out in a field by themselves going like, oh man, I wish I you know, was at my skateboard back in the city. Yeah, I actually really understand why farms back in the day had so many kids because they do, they keep each other company and they can all take on different roles. Like we have these routines and this is where my kids fight me. It's like you feed the dogs and you walk the dogs every single day in the morning or these people do it in the afternoon, but each person has their own responsibility and a lot more can get accomplished. Y'all have heard me talking a lot about silver lately to protect your wealth. Well, did you know that silver can also protect your health? Yes, my friends, it's true. Wise men and women have known about the healing power of silver across generations, cultures, and continents. It's one of those hidden gems the powers that be don't want you to know about, even though it's literally been used for centuries. But our homies over at Silver Biotics have taken silver to the next level with their unique SilverSol technology. SilverSol starts with a metallic nanoparticle, layers on a super thin silver oxide coating, then suspends it in a liquid base. This process gives it multiple modes of action and actually lets you take much less than you'd need with other ionic or colloidal silver particles. This gives it multiple modes of action and it actually lets you take much less than you need with other ionic or colloidal silver particles. Silver Biotics offers a slew of products ranging from skin and oral care to wound care and immune support, and all of their products inhibit the growth of microbes, fungus, and mold. But get this, multiple studies have shown SilverSol to be microbiome friendly, so that means it doesn't harm the beneficial gut bacteria, 
that we all need to thrive. I just love this stuff, and I'm quite certain that you will too. And you can find it at silverbiotics.com. And the discount code there is Luke, which saves you 30% on everything. Oh, and here's a hot tip for you pet lovers out there. They've even got a line called Pet Vet to keep your little furries one tip-top without exposing them to any wacky scents or toxic ingredients. A few times a week, I put a few drops of this in Cookie's food, and she's doing great. Again, visit silverbiotics.com, and the code is Luke. How do you handle conflict between the siblings? Yeah, you know, it doesn't happen that often. Um, It happens. And it's just like sitting down and a lot of times I was like, they'll come to me at a young age, like, hey, such and such hit me or I'm upset about this. And I was like, well, go talk to them about it. And if if you need to come back to me, but like try talking to them about it first. I just try removing myself and letting them work their own magic. So they're learning conflict resolution by just doing it. Yeah. In some cases. Yeah. And hopefully I've demonstrated as well with them or in my relationship with James. And those times I'm not ultra triggered, like how to do conflict resolution. So they have some tricks in the bag, you know? But also if I really need to sit there or sometimes it gets really bad and you're like, okay, let's create space. Like, let's just separate you two. You guys have time away. Like if if two people are really angry, sometimes they just need a minute. And then you come back later when all the feelings are good. I've seen the most beautiful conversations happen between my oldest two that like really are humbling to me where, or like my oldest three, the way that they're communicating with each other right now and working through stuff is like, like a, a lesson for me. And um, it's really beautiful and it's really heartfelt. And I, you know what? I, I I do have a suggestion here. A lot of times when everybody's upset, I'll say like, let's just rub the heart chakra like three times and like <sighs> take a breath. And that really does help calm things. But sometimes first you still need to separate and do it with them separate. What's the uh, thing about kids? Um needing baby talk and high pitch voices for, for six, six months. months. And then you the don't... scientists that discover that I actually interviewed yeah, tell her us at that one story. point. I heard you talk about that before. I thought that was interesting. So kids' ears are tuned to hearing higher pitch voices. Our instinct to actually speak to baby like, oh, dee, 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 dee. it's a scientific one. They're more tuned into that. And also the language that they hear for the first six months all goes into the mother tongue part of the brain. And any language they hear after that goes to a different part. So if they're exposed to numerous languages before six months, it all goes in one part of the brain and everything after is another part. Um, So they also, their ears will attune to those languages. But yeah, that high-pitched voice for six months, it like draws in the attention of the baby And um, I'm not really sure why. I would imagine that if there's a room of talking or a lot of conversations going on, a baby might just need to know where to focus. Like, oh, I'm going to focus on that sound. And that sound is unique between a baby and somebody communicating with a baby. 
I don't know. I think it, I know from like with our dog Cookie. Yeah. She's a perma infant kind of. <laughs> I don't think I could not talk baby talk to her. Like she just elicits that, oh, you little good, you know, it's like you just talk baby talk to her because she's like yeah. a permanent baby. But I've noticed that um, parents, this is just observational. I don't know if this is true and I'll see what your take is. I've noticed that there are certain parents that are maybe a little more progressive and they talk to, not babies, but they talk to their very young children and mid-age children like adults, like how you and I talk to each other. Hey, what are you doing over there? What do you want to do? Today? You know, they just talk to them like they're a grown up. And I've noticed that those kids seem to be more mature and kind of well-adjusted. And I'll talk to those kids of those parents and they talk to me like a normal person and not like a grown up that's different or separate from them. You know, there's not yeah. like a hierarchical way of talking to one another. Yeah. It's just more person to person. Have you and James over the course of your kids uh, progressively sort of talked to them in an adult way and not like, no, I'm talking to you like you're a little kid still? Or is well, there- we haven't had this discussion. It just kind of happened, right? Um, and and might I add that we don't go from, oh my God, you're so cute to talking to them after their six month birthday. Like, hey, you know, <laughs> would you like to eat? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. there's like, there's a, there's a progression and you just go with how you feel. But I think what you're saying is the person that does that typically tends to bring their child into the mix as opposed to like the, like here are your rules and parameters and it's not a conversation. Like it tends to be a similar personality that it just, they talk to them like an adult, but also they have trust in who they are and it's a more of a conversation as opposed to like, this is how it is and here are all the rules. And I love rules and I think rules and parameters are really important and I want to get better actually with those. Um, but yeah, I just think it's not just the sound of the voice. It's the way in which they're speaking to them and a different sort of respect will often come right, right. when you're talking like that. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's part of the honoring that, I mean, I just, my experience of life is that reincarnation is a thing. So that's just an assumption that I make yeah. here. I just know that to be true. Um, not because I've read it in a book, I just know it. And so the way I look at kids now, even when I meet a newborn baby, like your little, um, as Allison calls him, Mr. Potato Nugget, <laughs> Jeremiah, like I look in a baby's eyes and I see like what my conscious awareness is seeing is a newborn baby. But what my eyes see in those eyes is someone who's been here many, many, many times. And we might've even met, right? Might've even had some kind of relationship of some type, who knows, you know? So it's like that respectful honoring of them as a soul, right? Is a, is a different experience that I think some people probably don't have because they don't have a belief system or the awareness that there's a person behind those eyes that's not, this isn't their first rodeo, right? Yeah. It's like, so it's their first rodeo in this body with you as their parents. And so you're the rodeo guide to whatever degree is appropriate for you. But there's an intelligence that they carry and a teaching that they carry that is not apparent on the surface. I think you just landed on gold. We can take away everything that I have said in the podcast and just push it aside. 
if we're all looking at each other's eyes, there is a respect and honoring and reverence and remembrance. It doesn't even matter what you believe. There's some kind of remembrance in seeing of somebody that happens when you do that. And it's not just like a looking, like a looking in a conversation. It's like, I'm a seeing scene. you. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's huge. And that's yeah. going to change your interaction with anybody. Yeah, I find that to be fun with kids. You know, here yeah. in Texas, I'm around many more babies and kids than I ever have been in my whole life. But that's kind of the place I like to get to with kids. You know, yeah. not in an invasive way, like that they would even know, but I just look at a kid, just like I do that with everyone, actually. Yeah. I do it with you. I do yeah. it with anyone with whom I interact when I can remember, oh, yeah, this is the reality. There's a person behind the persona, right? Yeah. And so it's fun to do that with kids and just kind of look at them and go, what, who's in there? Yeah. You know, what do you, what are you thinking? Where have you been? What do you know that I don't know you know? Not only are you seeing them, but you're having a curiosity about them and an interest. And that's so beautiful. And I think that's going to bring out the best in anybody always. Yeah, it makes for great interviews. <laughs> there you go, right? I mean, I think that's just, I'm just, I'm so curious about people, just the individual expression of people. It's no accident that this is one of the things I do with my life is just getting to know people. I'm just so curious. And sometimes you don't have the time. Like I was saying in the beginning here, like we've just never, we've talked about a lot of deep stuff. We've had some really profound experiences. I've yeah. learned a lot from you. We shared some beautiful moments. So it wasn't really necessary to know about your past because what's right now is really what's real. But I'm also very curious, you know. Well, right just, now I, it involves my past. Yeah, like it's yeah, part yeah. of the whole weaving of the thing. So who is yeah. sitting here right now has had a very fascinating life. <laughs> yeah. As we all have, you yeah. know, once you unravel anybody and even like we're talking about parenting. I mean, if you had this interview with me a year ago, nobody would care to watch my parent or not a year ago, but with Olivia to watch my parenting advice. You know, we're just all in a state of growth. But what you just said about eye contact and curiosity and seeing, I mean, if we're going to have a rule book for life, there you go. Yeah. That's it. What about um, discipline, disciplining your kids? Like, how does that work? That's something that's always mystified me. Like, if a kid really screws up, say and does something mean to another kid, right? It's like, well, you, you can't just be like, oh, well, how are you feeling? We'll just let that go. I mean, there needs to be some kind of, I don't know, is it a timeout? Is uh-uh. it a, taking the toy away? You can't go to the soccer camp now? Like punishment versus reward, all that stuff is really interesting to me. Well, I find that discipline perpetuates an issue usually. So, especially if it's unrelated. So, okay, um, you're sneaking your iPad. You're grounded or you're, you know, you're going to have timeout. Timeout rips people's hearts apart is what I've seen with kids. Like, and it's I've like tried solitary it before. confinement. It, yeah. Oh, and, and it shit. makes I've them not feel that. even loved. It's like if somebody's not listening, there's something that's going on in there. Like if somebody's on an iPad all the day, they might be addicted. They might be addicted. Now we have maybe an animal that's a bigger beast than the kid knows how to handle. So as a parent, what are you going to do? I'm pissed at you. I'm mad. I'm like, you're grounded. It's like we just handed a child something that they're 
addicted to. It's beyond their capacity as a child to control or regulate. So that's why if you're going to give it, you better put parameters. Otherwise, it's kind of like the child is sleeping in a bed you made for them. They like they may say they want it, but we have to know their capacity. And so, um, you know, like we got our kids iPads to start some online schooling. And when we first got them, one of them I found was sneaking it. And I was like, I saw this child sneaking it. And I was like, she threw it. And I was like, you know, you're not supposed to be on that. And she goes, yeah, she cried. She's like, I'm really upset. I I feel like I have to be on it. And I don't know what to do. Wow. And I was like, okay, I'll help you through this. Like, because, you know, we had parameters and she went against them, but it's like she kind of was just really honest about where it was. But I'd imagine if I got in there and started yelling at her, it would have been a very different conversation. And now she's alone in this addiction and not knowing what to do. And so we did. We set parameters. And um, sometimes we have help with our kids. Sometimes they're not having the same parameters or maybe I'm not clear with the parameters. So one of the things I am in a work in progress with right now is getting super clear across the board with parameters because it's been so much of where I'm trying to shift them for six different kids that it gets all fuzzy. So I'm like, ah, we got to create family parameters because that's just what we have to do. with They're just universal bylaws (laughs) of the homestead. It's just kind of what we have to do. And, um, you know, but say... Say you have a a baby and the baby bites like Jeremiah is biting. What are we going to do? You know, you separate them. Ouch, that hurts. Look, don't bite me. Communicate. What are you going to do to punish a 20-month-old? Or if you have a two or a three-year-old, it's like, and they're biting and they're hitting. It's like, okay. You know, that we got to put a boundary here. That's not allowed, and I'm not going to let you do it. And we're going to take some breaths. And when, when you calm down, like if it's happening out of anger, what's the thing that angered you? And like, how can we work through that differently? So, punishment doesn't typically help a child understand how to interact differently the next time they're put in that situation. So, if we're doing punishments, it's like, are we parenting? Because the whole thing we want the child to do is to have the tools to understand what just happened and to interact with it differently. It's like, go think about it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not into it. Well, that's, that's interesting because I mentioned before, and I don't, again, I don't like the term well-behaved because it just sounds, I don't know. I, I don't want to be well-behaved at the age I am now, let alone when I was a kid, but I don't know, being around your kids, they're they're not annoying. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like they're chill. They act, say- they act cool. They don't do crazy shit. Like last time we were over for dinner, all your kids are around and they're doing different stuff and showing us their art and being kids, but they're not ever, in my experience, being inappropriate or rude. They're very respectful. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. They're respectful of one well, another, of you guys, of respected. your guests. There you go. They're respected. Well, right. well behaved or well respected. They're well respected and they are respect they understand what respect is. There are times where like I'll do something and like Amelia, my daughter that just turned seven, she'll be like, Mom, 
I'm really upset that you just did that thing. And I'll see it in her face and how serious she is. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, she's coming to me in vulnerability, expressing herself. I need to like really honor this. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. And like, you know, just like having that relationship with them is priceless. And also on the flip side, I will share to make sure we all know, like, I'm this is an everyday dance and navigation system. I had some people flying from LA. We're all sitting around the table. Gwendolyn Rose Vanderbeek, she loves attention. So she comes She's outside so to the concrete cute. table. She's oh my God. so funny. And she goes, Mom. And she just waits to make sure everybody's watching her. I was like, What? She goes, What the fuck? I was like, what? What the fuck? 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 And I'm like, Gwen, what the fuck, mom? Just doing it to like get a rise out of everybody and captivate her audience, you know? And I'm just like, what do I do now? I'm like, Gwen, you shouldn't be saying fuck. Like, (laughs) it's not for you to say. And she's like, what the fuck? And you know, she just had this whole like, and so it's like, okay, so next time I need to make sure Gwen has a stage with everybody and she doesn't have to create her own stage, you know? But can I like get mad at Gwen or punish her? Wash her mouth out with soap? Like, no, I swear. How do you balance the good cop, bad cop, you know, between you and James? Do you have similar parenting styles? Is one of you more stern and the other one more lenient? Or is it always just a dance between both of you as well? It's a dance. And if James starts to get upset, I'm like, hey, oh, like, hey, hey. And he'll do the same thing with me. So we really like, and this is where we're at now. It's been a journey. We've we've done this so many different ways, but where we're at right now, I feel like we're in a really good place with this dance we're doing together. It's, I think, more classically the case that the dad would be the one who kind of brings down the hammer and the mom is, you know, easier to get one over upon. He's better with parameters. That's for sure. And I'm working on that and rhythms and sort of like grounding. I wouldn't consider that a bad cop move though. I'm so glad that he is. Yeah. And like watching and learning sometimes from him. I mean, there's something just thinking about my parents were divorced when I was really young, but if my dad said, hey, no, it was a whole different experience than if my mom said it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I loved and respected them both, but there's just something about male energy that yeah. is, will stop you in your tracks. You take it a bit more seriously maybe when you're a kid in some cases. You well, know? kids are also learning their boundaries, right? So Gwen is like, is this something I can do? And how does my audience interact with this? And you know, it's like, okay, I'm not going to go into a stage of embarrassment with her, but we're going to have a conversation about this later. Or if I feel like that ship has sailed, a conversation might just bring more attention to it and more rise for her too. So it's it's always just like feeling each thing out with the different personalities that you have. It's, it's constant. How dance. much influence, if any, do you think uh, your kids' astrological signs have upon them oh, and your relationship to them? Interesting timing because I just had an astrology chart reading two days ago. Um, a lot. A lot. 
but you can't like limit a child to their astrological chart, you know, but you can definitely learn some skeletal features of the chart and it helps you know how to navigate or understand um, where somebody may thrive. I do find a lot like Joshua is so intuitive and so deeply intuitive and asks these big, huge world questions. And, you know, he's Pisces. And then Olivia is like very balanced and self regulated and she's a Libra. And Gwen has two sides and she's a Gemini and she is the life of the party, you know? So it's like. Do you have any Scorpios? No. no. What What sign are you? I'm Pisces Aries. Oh, okay. Yeah, so if you take me in the Vedic chart, I'm full Pisces. The Gregorian, I'm Aries with a Pisces moon. Have you had uh, human design readings on any of your kids? No. Do you, but are human, you in- human design is fascinating. My, my human design explained to me so much. I can't remember what it was, but it was like... All like every single intuitive channel was open, like blasted open, and which I'm I'm a really like we're all intuitive, but I'm very in touch with my intuition, so I found that to be very fascinating. Yeah, I I think if I could describe you in one word, that might be the word intuitive. Yeah, and just the time <laughs> I've spent with you, and yeah. you know things you've shared with me that uh, there's no way you could know yet you know them that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, you know? a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. What about uh, what about schooling? I know you guys have done some homeschooling. I think you've had teachers coming there, and now some of your kids are going off to other schools. How have you, and are you going to navigate that? Yeah, schooling has been a dance for us as well. Um, I chose for like most of my children to not have them in preschool, and for them to just be playing at the park and having fun for their days after researching the Finnish education system. I love the Finnish ed- education system. As in Finland? As in Finland. Uh, there's a great book, Finnish 2.0. And basically, it's similar to Waldorf in that they're not really teaching the alphabet until the kids are seven. And when they teach math, it's like, hey, grab a stick from you know the forest and this many rocks. And, and they're, at younger years, they're teaching kindness and another language. Wow. Which, you know, the best time to learn other languages is while you're really young. And it actually helps that focus part of the brain because before you're two years old, all language that you learn happens through eye contact. Oh, wow. Yeah. So after Unless you're wearing a mask. (laughs) Sorry. It, you know, I'm trying kid, to get over the, the, the past went, few years, but it still pisses me off, especially as it pertains to kids and their development or lack thereof. Well, they're learning how to move their mouth and their tongue by watching and observing. And it's like, it, listen, they are coming out with some pretty serious effects like those younger kids are having because a child before two, it's they really need to, well, look at the eyes is how the brain registers it, but they're watching the whole face and they're learning expressions and even babies, they're mimicking all of our expressions all the time. So it was very sad, (laughs) that period of time in in some ways and beautiful in others. I like this this, uh, learning kindness though. I've I've pondered this, like for, for a human being to develop, you know, what are the most important things they need to learn? 
And (laughs) to me, it's like the spiritual principles that make life work are the most important things ever to learn. And some of us have to go through life and experience a lot of pain and misery and make a lot of mistakes before, and we get lost, right? That's been my case, very lost. And finding my way back to, uh, to center, to truth has been through understanding principles. So I think of kindness as a principle, right? It's like an aspect of God, yeah. compassion, honesty. So many of the words that you've used to describe uh, your parenting experience so if, if I could envision a school for young kids, it would be like teaching them principles, universal principles, right? Not, not dogma, not beliefs, not religion. I mean, not, you know, to each their own, but I mean, just teaching them the fundamentals of how the universe works more, would be more meaningful, I think, than math or the alphabet or any of these things you need to navigate the world right you have to understand like oh if i have two dollars and i take one away now there's one right but it's like what really brings one success and fulfillment in life is understanding just basic fundamental laws of of nature of the universe of relating of people like that's that's what matters i do believe that the preschool system is hurting our children. I believe this very strongly. And not every preschool is created the same. But to take them from one subject to another subject to another subject and pretend that a five-year-old needs to know how to read. They don't. But they do need to know how to play. And some five-year-olds want to know how to read. Like Gwen is super interested in the alphabet and reading already. So, you know, I'll handle her a little differently than other kids. But there's something so beautiful about letting a kid play. And what they found in Finland, because all their kids would take, the kids in Finland would take their first test at the age of 15. And they were scoring almost across the board higher than every other European country. And they're like, why why is this? That's interesting. Because the focus part of their brain. So what you want to do with a kid is to enhance the focus part of the brain. And how do you do that? Have them doing something that they so passionately want to do that they're super focused on it. Oh, wow. And so now yeah. you have a great lifelong learner because they know how to focus. Right. Yeah. I, they know how to focus. I read something the other day about uh, the origins of the word kindergarten. Mm. And, I, and I think what it said was that it's in German translated as kid's garden. Oh. And so kindergarten in its original form was just kids growing food and playing in the dirt. <laughs> Wow, but I, you know, again, it's just like a meme or something. I saw. I don't, you know, I haven't, yeah. uh, I haven't fact checked it, but it it made sense, and that's that's what I envision. And I spent much of my childhood that way. I was outdoors a lot. Thank God, you know, yeah. there was it was. I live. I grew up in the era of be home before dark. Yeah, just running wild in in nature. Thank yeah. God. But yeah, I, I like this. Uh, I like this finish model. It's, that's a that's a cool. It's so beautiful. It, 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 it's similar to the Waldorf, and and also not for everybody, because, I, but I think the principle is like, what does your kid want to focus on, and just letting right. them do that, as long as it's like a healthy focus, a healthy brain right. focus, 
<laughs> not World of Warcraft on their you know <laughs> their VR glasses. No. And here, well, here's kind of the sad thing. It's like not everybody has the capacity to decide where their kid is going to kindergarten or preschool yeah. or a parent works and they have to send their kid to preschool. And, you know, it's whatever one they can get let in. Because some preschools are, it's like, you'd swear you're filling out an application for the kid to run for president. It's like insane. You know, so some people don't have the financial resources. And and uh, what I want to say to those parents specifically is... As a child that was raised in the public school system, worked my way around some tough times. I also had a very beautiful experience that was completely tailored to like what my soul came here to live up and dream and accomplish. And it all feeds into our own unique personal story. And, you know, we weave it into the future the way that we know and that we can. And like even, you know, Olivia, I would have done so much differently, but also she's so beautiful just as she is. And now our relationship has evolved and she's watched me grow up with her, you know? So there, we have to just sort of take life for what it is and decide every day what energy we want to come forward with because we don't all get to make these decisions Um, We don't all have that capacity. And so many of us are really in survival mode. And I've seen that and I grew up around that. And to just say to that person, you know, if you can just look in the mirror and say like, I'm here and I'm doing my best and I'm going to love myself the best way I know how. And that's going to be the best way to love my kid. That's what you do. You know, this is all like ideal world. But at the end of the day, it's about, it's not all about the humanity that we are with our kids, it's the human dignity that we are with ourselves, which gives us the capacity to have dignity with our kids. And until we do that self-work and that self-love and that self-acceptance, we're not gonna have much to offer. All right, let's get honest here. Do you ever feel bloated and gassy after you eat? Well, it happens to the best of us, especially after a high protein meal. Well, stay tuned because I'm going to tell you how to tackle this problem on the cheap, folks. If you're like me and you eat a lot of meat, fish, and eggs, it could be crucial to supplement with enzymes that break down these proteins into amino acids that your body can actually use. It's like your body has a bank account of enzymes and it really helps to make a healthy deposit into that account. Now, I know you probably love the products from Bioptimizers. We're all magnesium deficient and Bioptimizers makes the best magnesium supplement on the market. But did you know that they also make a best-selling digestive enzyme product? It's called Masszymes, and it's a full-spectrum capsule of plant-based, naturally-derived enzymes that digest proteins, starches, sugars, fibers, and fats. I'm on these enzymes literally with every meal I eat at home and even sometimes throw a few in my pocket when I'm eating out. Well, this month only, Bioptimizers is offering our listeners a free bottle to try it out. All you have to do is pay the nominal shipping fee. To score your free bottle, visit masszymes.com slash lukefree and enter the code luke10. Easy peasy. That's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S. Masszymes.com slash lukefree. And aside from crushing, bloating, gas, and fatigue, masszymes also help with nutrient absorption and muscle mass. 
So don't miss out on your free supply this month only. That's masszymes.com slash lukefree. And punch in code LUKE10 to get your free bottle today. Yeah, I think there's definitely a trap in the idealistic perfectionism and also the guilt of like, oh man, I got to put my kid in public school because I'm, you know, I work all day or whatever, right? So I know I'm, some. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. glad you brought that in. And we all do kind of find our way, right? Despite if you, you know, your parents intended to have a home birth like you and then you didn't, you went to the hospital and it's like, Olivia's fine. She's thriving. She's great. And then you've done things differently subsequently with the other kids you have. But we're all here. Brand, yeah. Brandon over here, he's doing fine. <laughs> His ass is probably born in a hospital, maybe a C-section, who knows what. And he's he's fine. Yeah. Went to public school, you know. So I think we, yeah. as we grow, we find adaptation to those things, you know. But I always also am pointing toward like a true north of the most optimal. Of course. According to, you know, my preferences or beliefs. And so that's what I like to ask people, but I'm glad you brought that in that, yeah, you know, it, it's not a cookie cutter scenario between birth and raising kids into school for every yeah. person. It's so circumstantial and everyone's going to be fine no matter how you do it. Yeah. I, you know? I, I like my edges. I said to James, I was like, I mean, I'm very street smart. I may shock a lot of people, but I'm very street smart. And I'm like, are my are our kids street smart? Like, you know, and he's like, you know what? We like each person calls in a different, unique circumstance. And I would say some of them really are. That's besides the point. But, you know, yeah, it's just so interesting. Like I said, that kid, if they want to drum, they're going to start with their pots. Like we'll always find a way. We'll always adapt. And that's just what we do. And we listen to these conversations. And if we're listening to them with an open heart and curiosity and to like, you know, somebody wanting to see you or somebody wanting to see me, and hopefully they can reflect that on themselves to see what things feel right for them, what adjustments maybe their innermost self is calling forward. And they're like, I resonate with that. And I don't resonate with that. And it's like, cool. So you take what you can in your life and what you want to, and, and you work with it. With the homeschooling world, uh, I've noticed that this has emerged as more of a thing in the past few years. I think yeah. as people are identifying the instability and some of the faults in our uh, society in general. And I've heard murmurs of kind of co-op homeschooling, right? Where different parents in a community will assume different roles and it's becoming in some cases more possible for parents to uh, have that as an option. Yeah. That wouldn't have formally because there's more people wanting to do that, right? Yes, there's a what have lot. You, what have you seen in terms of homeschooling, alternative education? What's what's on, on the horizon from your perspective? So in LA, we had um, a homeschooling co-op in our house until I got pregnant with Gwendolyn, my five-year-old. We had eight kids at the house and, um, and it was great because as parents, we could get together and sort of decide what that looked like. Um, I think it wasn't ideal for me. And, and once, you know, that pregnancy happened, I said no. And then I had my kids go to another co-op at somebody else's house. And that one worked out really well because they set their house up really well for it. And it was really beautiful. And the kids still talk about missing that school. 
the friendships were really, really close. Um, but you have to be with the right kids because say there's something awry, it can get really messy really quick when you know you're not so spread out. Um, I think it's a beautiful option for people because it's you know it's less expensive than hiring your own teacher, and it takes all the things off just one parent's execution. So yeah, I think it's a phenomenal option. And there's a lot of teachers that like this as well. It's got its own set of hurdles, like usually um, teaching multiple different age groups at the same time. It's a particular skill set. And some of these people create pods with just one age group. Uh, You know, but it takes having the right mix, you know, just like any relationship. It's like, is this the right one for you? Have you uh, heard of this uh, thing they have out here called Forest School? Yeah. Yeah? Do you know anything about that? Uh, I don't know a lot, but I think it's really beautiful. Um, There's lots of educational systems around the world where the kids are basically in the forest all day. Yeah, I have... I mean, you live on a forest. (laughs) Yeah. You know, lucky for your kids, they could just walk outside and be in forest school pretty much. Yeah, no, I think it's beautiful because it really just energetically and the frequency of it can just really drop you in. And I think for me, so much of life is intuitively guided. And when we're learning to get in touch with our intuition or open up our passions and our creative channels... One of the easy ways to do that is strip away unnecessary stimulation, right? So fluorescent lights, sounds of buzzing appliances or equipment, um, to have that time to just be in nature can be very healing and and allow you to get deeply in touch with yourself. I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, me too. Um, it's hard to imagine you know, the things that you mentioned, the fluorescent lights, the little desks being inside, the school bell. Just when I think about public school, it's just, oh man, my experience of it was like a prison. I mean, from day one, hated it. So I think I'm very biased based on my own experience. I didn't like it. I I thought it was a waste of my time, but I did enjoy connecting to people. And I did enjoy that I had some really incredible teachers in my life. Um, so you have six kids and there's uh, this belief that some people hold, which I don't believe to be true, that the world is overpopulated and that people should be having fewer kids. I am of the opposite belief. What's your perspective on under overpopulation? <laughs> Do you advocate for people having tons of kids like you have? What does the world need in terms of the number of kids we're bringing in? Well, gosh, where do I even, I could do a whole podcast just on this question. In high school, environmentalist Kimberly went by what she was told and instructed. And uh, I felt like I'm not going to have too many kids because it's not good for the environment. And kids do. They take a lot of resources. We have more trash, even though we try to be consciously aware than most people. It does. It takes an environmental toll. Um, fast forward to Kimberly that like goes into the business and you know, has got access to world leaders and having conversations with people, you know, that uh, you know, very recognizable names, people that know 
a lot about what's happening in the world. Um, there's a lot of conversation where people are saying, and this this was like 12 years ago, people are saying in 50 years, we're going to have a population issue in which our population reduction will happen so much that actually we won't have a younger generation that has the capacities to support the older one with social security and such, that there won't be enough of like enough people to support the amount of older people. So there were some conversations like that when you get into the political worlds and even people that care deeply about the environment. I haven't had those conversations in a long time, but that feeds and weaves into who I am today. And who I am today, these souls were always coming in. This was a decision that goes far beyond my body being on earth. I had a conversation with Jeremiah, um, my sixth child. I had two back-to-back late-term near-death miscarriages. I was like, I am not getting pregnant again. It is not worth my life. Uh, I'm still not quite sure how I got pregnant with Jeremiah. The timing does not make any sense at all. Really? Yeah. In terms of ovulation and whatnot? Yes. Huh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And um, same with with Gwendolyn, Really? They're like, I'm coming, so get ready. (laughs) So I had a conversation with Jeremiah um, before he came in. And I was like, there are a lot of women trying really hard to have babies and I want you to go to one of those. And he was like, nope, I got to come through you. Like it was this whole conversation that I had with a baby. And uh, I didn't realize that I was already pregnant with him when I was having it. Was this during a ceremony or something of that nature? Yeah. You know, we go into these deep, super meditative ceremonies and plant medicine sometimes. And yeah, it was a pretty big reveal. I'm like, okay, so we've already made this decision together. And I realized that my head was really scared, but my heart knew. My heart knew that was my baby and and all parts of me outside of my brain really did want to welcome him in. And so it's interesting when you get into caring about the environment or the world, it's like, we can make these brainiac decisions, but if they're not guided by the heart, what are they really? Yeah, and are we really in control of any of this anyway? <laughs> Who's to say like how many people are supposed to be here or not? I mean, it's it's really grandiose, I think, to even try and control that. Yeah. It seems there are people um, that want to control that now, you know, which yeah. is just crazy, crazy. It's just people playing God. Right. Yeah. I like your approach of just listening to your body and being in communication with souls and being receptive and open to surrendering to higher levels of awareness and understanding. Yeah. You know, it's like what makes life interesting, right? Is knowing that there are so many things you don't know and understand and never will. You just follow those breadcrumbs, right? Yeah. Do you, in, I mean, your kids are all quite young. Do any of them have, any awareness around the work that you do spiritually? Do you talk to them about God? Do they know you're going away to have some sort of a ceremony? What's their understanding of your spiritual life and your journey? My kids are my spiritual life. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, they're very much a part of it. I talk to them about everything. So they, um, you know, a lot of people come to me with a lot of issues that I meditate and I'll receive information from them. And so my kids are very well aware of these conversations and witness them and um, see the truth in them and see the power of the universe exists within each one of us and we all have access to everything, really. Um, And I have some kids displaying some pretty big gifts and I think all of us have pretty big gifts when we're just open to seeing them. Um, Breath work, some meditation. These are all things my kids are very used to. In fact, I'll watch some of them just sit in a mudra and just like, and take deep breaths. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm upset. <laughs> so great. Or like, we'll be on vacation and Amelia will just go off on her own and we'll be like, oh, she's over there. She's in meditation. Okay. You know, so yeah, they they see, um, they know all. What's it like when you guys take your Winnebago and... This is one of the things I've looked at, especially with James, because he's like, you know, parking the Winnebago and I'm assuming doing the driving. And I've looked at him and just, I might have even said this to him, like, dude, how do you do that? You know, it's one thing like having a big property and there's some people around helping, but just imagining like, I got to go to the bathroom. How far is it? No, I want to watch this, you know, thing on the TV. I want to watch that. I'm just like trying to picture what happens in a Winnebago with two parents and six kids. And I don't know if you bring your dogs, but that's a whole other part of it. We the... do not bring our okay, dogs. Okay, okay. No On the property, way. it's like there's all these kids. You have like, what, five dogs? Yeah. Yeah, five dogs, six Too many. Kids. Honestly, I, mean... I love my dogs. It's too much. The dogs are a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So, James... I don't think a lot of people actually know who James is. Like he's so magnificent. It's wild. The way he cares for and loves the family and like calls on adventure and utilizes his creativity for like the betterment of our lives is one of the most beautiful things I've ever witnessed. He said, like Olivia is getting older and she's not going to want to do road trips forever. So I want to do road trips like right. And I'm getting this RV and just the time and effort he took into getting that. And the time and effort he takes into fixing that and setting it up. And yeah, and me too. The time and energy I put into it. But he somehow drives this massive bus around <laughs> with all of us. It's like a tour bus. It's like the size of like a, a band's tour bus. It's yeah. huge. I haven't been inside. but Well, you know I've who talked us it. into getting that specific model? Who? Alfonso. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. So RV guy, yeah. Yeah, so what's really funny, guys, is that we have the same RV, different year as Alfonso Ribeiro and Angela, who we love and we travel with sometimes. And Mark Paul Gosler and his family, Catriona, I I haven't seen them or talked to them in so long, but we all have the same RVs. It's like the most hilarious thing from what, the from the nineties childhood. What hap- What happens? Because um, I remember last summer, I think you guys drove up through Washington and 
I mean, everywhere is far when you live in Texas. Just getting to the edge of Texas is a it's long far. Way. Yeah. But you guys went like way up and cruising through a number of states and stuff. Like, what? Tell, give me some stories. What's that? Okay. What's that like? Well, it's absolutely nuts. So we have the best time of our life and the most chaotic time in our RV. Everybody gets really good about learning family structures and taking care of their spaces. I'll give you the first moment when we leave our driveway. It was already a story. So we get this RV. We're all so excited. We're going on our very first adventure in the tree. And um, I'm outside of the RV and we're just trying to leave the property, really. And... James is clearing these trees, but he's not really thinking about you have the top of the RV and then you have the air vents that stick up that much. And Branch knocks that thing off. I mean, we're not (laughs) literally out of the property yet in this brand new, spent all this money on an RV. It's like... He had to get a chainsaw. He had to cut down a branch. It was like insane. If you get in an RV, you can't even back the thing up because we're towing a truck. It's impossible. So just to go get... Oh, you're towing a truck. We're towing a car that's big enough to fit all of us. That's a whole thing, dude. When we moved out here, I got a, um, you know, whatever that tow ball thing on the put on the back of my car. So we could drag a U-Haul. It was a nightmare. You can't, you like you said, you can't back up. It's crazy. Yeah, so it's, even before we go grocery yeah. shopping, he has to find where the semis go and deliver food, and then he goes and stops there, and he he gets on satellite camera just just to get groceries. Like it's a it's a whole thing, and that's why. When we first got an RV, we didn't realize you needed to tow a vehicle. But if you want to go anywhere other than RV resorts or really parking lots sometimes, then you need to tow a car. Right. So, yeah, it's it's so wild. The adventures that we've had, though, have been so magnificent. We had this... Um, time where we said whenever the kids need to go to the bathroom we're just going to pull over and explore that area and there was one time where we we just took this walk and we ended up passing these cool railroad tracks and there was these old rusty pieces and we took a few pieces and James uses them as weights because it reminds him of this special memory and um, and then there's this rushing river you know all off the side of a freeway where you'd never think anything would be interesting and we saw these mushrooms growing and it was just magical you know it's just magical you're getting up and exploring life and you're figuring it all out together. And we always say that we go on these RV trips and we come back with teammates. It's like we all go through an evolution, but we really earn it because it is wild. It's like we don't really have so much sleep. We get ever, whatever, every goes to sleep. It's like, oh, okay. It's just crazy, but it's the best thing in the world. I bet it is a really incredible bonding experience for you guys. I'm thinking too of just the kids learning how to participate in problem solving and finding solutions and, you know, even just mapping and routes and where to park and also just watching mom and dad deal with a very dynamic situation for quite a while. Sometimes high stress. Yeah. 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 I would definitely be the guy that right out of the driveway knocks the, the, the air vent off the tree. You know, I've really thought like, should That's our hilarious. next thing be a houseboat? And should we go move on a houseboat? 
somewhere. I mean, we're, I like it. We're nuts. Houseboats are cool. We'll just get up and like change our life in a minute. And we are so down for that. Do you guys foresee yourself staying here uh, on the property where you are now for a bit? Yes. Yes. I, I know a couple I, times James has mentioned to me, he's like, oh, Kimberly woke up this morning and says we're moving here or there. <laughs> you know, or something. I don't know what, North Carolina or forget what it was Arkansas? last time. So yeah, yeah, Arkansas. He's like, oh, she does this. You know, we're not going anywhere. I love so, Arkansas. So I was willing, I was chomping out the bit to get out of LA. And speaking of astrology chart, this woman said to me, I was like, okay, what's the thing I need to work on? Like, I don't like just all blah, blah, blah. Like I, I like to be working on myself all the time. She goes, well, past life, refugee many times. You need to get yourself comfortable at home and stay in one place. I'm like, she goes, and there's a lot of nomadic family action here, but like find a home. And when I am on the ranch, it has and always does feel so special to me. And it feels very much like home. However, we are renting it right now. So that's where I'm just like, like I want to buy a place and and plant trees and like, and we've done that anyways and we've treated it like our home, but we just had a conversation and I think that we will definitely be transitioning ownership and which is so weird to say somebody owns land. You can't look at that tree and say, that's my tree. That tree was there before you. That tree is going to be there after you. It's like so wild, but this funny thing we do in life is we own land. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're in co- cooperation with the matrix, you know, it's just, there's a system that's been superimposed on the planet and we seem to have chosen to participate in it. <laughs> you know? I would be one of those. But I trip out on stuff like that too. Yeah, you know? right? Yeah, just like a county line. What? What even is that? So your regulations are completely different because of some yeah. line somebody decided. Yeah. This is, they, but I'm also someone who just inherently doesn't believe in regulations. Oh, I feel Except you. the laws of the land, you know, don't kill, steal, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you back in the homeschooling portion of this, how do you handle, let me just say like this, let's say you get like weird vibes from some parents or a family or yeah. kids with whom your kids want to play with how do you how do you handle the parameters of vibes safety healthy people healthy family healthy kids like when it's when something's off and you sense that how do you navigate that i talk to my kids about it i know you really like this person i'm getting a funky feeling from here or there or my kids do that with me, like, oh, this person, I've started to feel differently about them. I'm like, oh, let's talk about that. Put boundaries. It doesn't have to be, you know, you can put boundaries with the frequency as well. Like you can have people in your life and say, okay, this person is going to be in my life less frequently than this person. That's a normal thing to do. So it goes back to that open and honest conversation and keeping the lines of communication open. Yeah, and it also allows my kids to do the same thing. Like, you know what? I might be changing my mind about this person or something's feeling off or this person needs support and I want to give it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the big takeaways I'm getting from this conversation is you honoring your kids as individuals and yeah. respecting them 
and a lot of that seems to have to do with the communication and your authenticity and honesty with them too. Yeah, it right? goes both ways. Like um, sometimes my kids want to be friends with somebody that I'm like, mm, this is bumping for me. And uh, before they get too attached, you sort of just like, let's talk about this. How are you feeling? Is there anybody else that you'd rather have a play date with? Like, let's do that instead. Is this really important to you? Because if it's really important to you, then we can foster a connection in this way, you know? How much does your, the health in your relationship with James impact your parenting, your co-parenting together? Oh, it makes all the difference. Like when we're, so we went through like a little bit of a bumpy territory when we were in a grieving process. And this is something coming out of it. Now I can look back and say, we were both in deep grieving and we didn't know which way was up and which way was down. But when we had two late-term losses, we were in grieving big time and we were in overwhelm and we didn't want to do anything. Like So that was tough to navigate and that was tough for my kids to navigate too. It was just like anything would set us off, anything would trigger us and... Um, we both have such deep love and reverence for each other and our kids, but like we were grieving and yeah, it's like the, the fuse gets shorter when you're grieving, you know, I just watched this thing with Brene Brown where she said, you know, she'll walk into a room and tell her partner, like I got 20% today. And they're like, he's like, I got 20% too. And they say, well, let's have a conversation so we can make sure that we're not taking this out on each other. You know, and that would have been really great, solid advice for me to have while grieving. So I like that verbiage. And uh, I sent that video to James too, and I saw it. Like, our relationship is so beautiful right now. We're having such beautiful communication and just such honoring and such gratitude for each other. And he really knows how to be like such a beautiful husband. And yeah, dad, like, whoa, I'm like just in awe of him. It's impressive, me too. I'm always taking <laughs> notes when I'm around James. And I've asked him too. I think one of the first times, the first time he and I really dropped in, and I've had this with a few dads that I admire in, in the community. I just looked at him, I was like, how do you do this? Mm. And he's just, essentially his answer was, it's just innate. You don't need to know how. It's just, you just are that telling me that I am that, you know? Yeah, and you are that. Helping me work through my, you know, fears of uh, inadequacy in that department and whatnot. But yeah, he really is a great example. He is. It's like, he's so solid. I mean, when a dad is a good dad to one kid, it's like, oh, that's that's impressive. (laughs) It's like to have a few of them, just just the dynamic nature of that whole situation. It's just like, wow, that's a lot of movement. That's a lot going on. He's really genius. And also with, to, you know, just be a provider and hold down the, the fort in that capacity too, but just what's required emotionally to keep that degree of presence and leadership and love is it's yeah, it's very impressive. I'm learning so much from him. Yeah. Like he he folds in certain rhythms and things that I'm watching the buildup over the years of how that manifests. When he puts the kids to bed, they all have their own song that he sings them. 
And so each night he'll go to each kid and he sings them a, a different song. Um, just really beautiful songs. One of them is Dear Theodosia that I love. Like he added that second song for Amelia in there. And how the song has evolved over the years to them like just laying in bed and getting sung to. Now they're singing it with him and it's the sweetest, done in the sweetest way. And with Amelia, he started teaching her how to harmonize, like sing a different note that harmonizes with his note. And so it's gone from that to her singing with him to like, I'm just watching the evolution of this thing that they have together. I'm like, they're going to sing that together when she gets married, probably. You know, and it's going to be one of these markers of all the beauty of their life. And it's just like, it's from his heart to theirs. It's like he found something that feels special to him, which is, music and he it's it's the way that he shares his heart and in his creativity but just the consistency has had this blossom that's like like the beauty of the moment encompasses the beauty of every night of their childhood that he's ever put them to sleep and it's like the most beautiful thing I'm just like in awe every single night wow every single night and their nervous systems drop into complete just beauty and love and security and knowing that they're like loved and held by their dad just by that thing. And, you know, he had to create that moment. He had to like, when there were toddlers and didn't want to go to bed, you know, it's time and here's why. And here, and he creates like structures to support this. And I watched him go through these things where they would like try interrupting him and I want to do this and I would want to do that. And he would just keep singing and he didn't budge from the song. I'm like, dude, they're asking you a question. And he wouldn't budge. Because he's like, at this point, (laughs) I'm deciding what I'm doing with my time right now and I'm singing to you. And there's always going to be a million distractions and I'm not going to buy into them. And he like held that container. And it's just like, I didn't always know that that was the right way. And it is like, there's so much wisdom in that in terms of modeling too. That's what I'm getting from this conversation too is so much of parenting. It's just, it's who you are, right? How you are, who you are, perhaps even more so than what you say or do because the cues that your kids are taking are more meaningful in that regard than probably the things that you're saying. Right? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's like, and they see us get upset though. Yeah. You know, yeah, they see yeah. us get upset and all that. They and see, it's all okay. See be human. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one last question I have for you. Yeah. Um, what's it been like, you know, I'm fascinated by home birth and because I just look at the way mammals make babies in nature and, um, you know, they don't need the kind of interventions that we sometimes need. And God bless the interventions when they are needed. Yeah. Much respect to, you know, the system that's there, but I'm very attracted to the idea of home birth. And I've heard you talk about some of your birth experiences with candles being lit and beautiful music playing and a really kind of etheric and spiritual experience. And um, I think you've said that during some of your births, your other kids have been present in the room. Is yeah. that is that the case? And what what's that been like? I can't imagine how interesting that whole scenario must be. You yeah, know? like how yeah. if a kid has been present for one of their siblings' birth, how has that affected them? How have they reacted? 
is it is it normal to them? Or are they just like, oh, this is life, and they just innately know how to process that? Or is it yeah. crazy and weird to them, and so on? Oh, I've got some good one for that. Well, the first thing I want to say is I love the idea of a woman giving birth wherever she feels most comfortable, right? And I love a dad that's open to home birth because that gives her permission to make a choice on what feels most comfortable. And sometimes births have a life of their own and you need to shift around your birth request. And and so it's beautiful because your openness allows uh, your wife to be open to that as well. Or, you know, listen, a woman can make her own decisions, but it's very helpful when somebody is open to whatever it is. So wherever somebody's most comfortable, some people are most comfortable in the hospital. I'm not. Um, so the first time I had children, pre- well, with Annabelle, my third, I was putting the kids to bed in labor. So I was having contractions between labor and I thought I'm going to get the kids to bed first and then I'm going to have the baby. She happened so quickly. The kids were downstairs and then I was like, well, might as well just like have them a part of it next time. So talk to them about it. Um, I was on a breech birthing panel with some really incredible women, including Ina Mae Gaskin. And she, um, in the short period of time that we spent together, had a big influence on me too with how she was just so like, you know, it's, it's birth. Like, let the village be present or have it on your own. Like, what feels right? And so I was like, you know, for Amelia's birth, I'm open to kids being there. And um, I was having pushing contractions and Annabelle was walking down the hall, like almost two years old. And she watched her be born. And then immediately her hands go like this. And she just goes, baby. Like she wanted to hold the baby, baby, baby. Like I want to hold the baby. Like it was so cute. Her little hands just went straight like that. And it was a rough end of the birth. And she was completely unfazed. For Gwen... Um, and again, I showed the kids at night. I was, we were having story time. I'm talking about, you know, your vulva area. Here's how many holes there are. Here's where you pee. Here's where you have babies. Here's, you know, all the things. And I was birthing stuffed animals and I was like making the sounds that would mimic birth. And I said to them too, I was like, listen, I'm going to be having a birth in the house. So I'm setting the stage for myself to be in comfort by preparing my children for what may happen. There may be a lot of blood. That's very normal. There may be no blood. That can also happen. I may make loud sounds and like it could be quieter. It could be like, you know, because when I birthed Olivia in the hospital, it was like really loud. And I was like, they're all me communicating with my body on how to bring the baby in. And everything is just going to be whatever it's going to be. I don't even know what it's going to look like. So we birthed stuffed animals in so many different ways because at the time, everybody would get up at night and like tell their own little story. So that was my own little story was birth. Like I did it like 20 times. So they were all kind of familiar before they ever went to a birth. And I even showed some videos sometimes like, here's what birth looks like. And as long as I'm approaching this with the energy of this happens every day and every single person you saw was born somehow, whether it was in a hospital, whether it was through surgery, whether it was home, you know, whatever way, everybody was born. And birth is beautiful and it brings so much, you know, beauty to the world. And if I can be chill like that, then they're going to be chill like that. 
you know, but it's like these conversations where, oh my God, I'm saying it, I'm going to have the birds and the bees conversation. You know, it's like, it wasn't that energy. It was just like, this is what we do. Um, with Gwen, Olivia and Josh were there. And apparently I didn't explain it well enough to Josh because he was expecting Gwen to come out of my butt. <laughs> so he was looking in the wrong area. You got the anatomy. But he was there. Skewed, yeah. Yes. And <laughs> Olivia was there. And that was a cool experience for them. Jeremiah's birth was a tough one. And everybody was there. Annabelle walked, like it was so tough. Annabelle was, was like, it tough because he's a big little fella? That might be part of it. I think the way he was in there was a little tough too. And I was having to switch positions to like adjust him. Um, uh, let's put it this way. I'm holding crystals, calling on the sisterhood of the world to move through me because I was done. Like my own energy had tapped out. I was like calling on a much bigger power to like help me birth this baby. And I felt like all the women of the whole world that have ever birthed a child, like moving through me. It was that. You had to call on some resources. I called on some resources. And um, Annabelle left at one point and came right, like right that moment after, but all the other kids saw. And Olivia was like, okay, that one makes me like second think having babies. But also it's so <laughs> sacred to her. And they all say like, that looks tough. And you know what? Yeah. Some of them are tougher than others. And that's okay. That's just what it was. And they didn't have to stay. It was a choice that they made to be there. And I felt comfortable in having them. So I invited them. Wow. Um, if I didn't feel comfortable, I wouldn't have invited them. EMF radiation has become an extremely problematic issue for all of us. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know how passionate I am about finding affordable, practical solutions. Well, I recently found a subscription service called Quantum Upgrade that counters this problem. First, by bringing quantum energy to any area where you need it. And second, by harmonizing the EMF within these areas, neutralizing EMF frequencies to make them less toxic to the body. When you reduce harmful frequencies and add additional quantum energy to your physical body, you've got a powerful combo that significantly enhances your ability to heal and regenerate on a cellular level. Let me explain how this quantum upgrade works. Enrolling in their streaming service transmits this vital energy to your home or virtually any unique identifier to which you set it, such as your phone or vehicle. Another bonus feature I really dig about this service is that I can easily customize it anytime from anywhere in the world. For example, sometimes I'll set boosters for specific frequencies when I need support for mood, focus, or sleep. And lucky for you, we've hooked up a 15-day free trial for Lifestylist listeners if you're quantum curious. Just visit quantumupgrade.io and enter the code LUKE15 to try it out. That's quantumupgrade.io. Can you imagine, and maybe you have imagined, it seems that it would be so impactful for your kids to watch you have another baby in their appreciation of what you went through to have them, right? That has to connect to them that like, oh, that's what mom did for me too. That's what I did. I mean, that's It changed potent. my relationship with the kids, that's actually, powerful. after having them. And um, 
yeah, even the miscarriages did that too. And just being honest with them through that. It's been super potent and powerful. Um, my kids like were, when they were there as part of the birth, they were more likely to tend to me after to take care of me and want to take care of me, which was really sweet and just more understanding of my needing sleep. I've been so tired. I'm like finally getting on the other end of that, but there are so many years where I was just so tired. I've had six babies and five miscarriages. So it's like my body just needs rest and I'm not yeah. always available to mom it. So at this point, like I'm, I'm having to like hire somebody to help me, you know? And, uh, or even to work. So it's been really beautiful to connect to them in that way. So they always know, like, this is where we came from. This is mother nature at its finest, you know, like giving life. And, um, and yeah, and there are many ways that it happens. And, you know, it was tough the last time for me. Yeah, that's interesting because I would think, each time it just would get easier and easier. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Sometimes huh? it does work like that. Okay. Actually, um, Joshua was so much easier than Olivia because the first can tend to be the longest. And then the third, they always call kind of a toss up. But Annabelle was born in a half an hour and they're like, you almost didn't make any sounds. And I wouldn't call it easy, but some people call these orgasmic births and like, who's having an orgasm during birth? Good for you if you did, like amazing. That would be my version. It was like the most peaceful birth. She came out, there wasn't a drop of blood in the water. It was like warm water. It was so beautiful. Then I had Amelia in the water and that was tough, you know? Like, so they're just, they're all different. You never know what you're going to have. But I think if a mom does want to welcome her children, she really needs to set the stage for herself by having her children have some kind of understanding of the occurrences that could happen. Because if your kids are in a panic, you know, that might not be the best thing for you. Or you might need somebody to say like, "Uh." so the kids need to know how to leave the room if they need and feel like they can. Right, they're not under a sense of obligation to hold space for you. You be be there if you want. If it gets a little scary for you or if the sounds sound like too much or, you know, just know that you can leave. Yeah. Wow. Damn, you're a trip. It's so interesting <laughs> to me. It feels so simple. But then again, like I've been doing it for so long. It's yeah. just like being honest with each other. Yeah, I love it. Utilizing this throat chakra that we have. Yeah. I love it. You're the best. Oh, You're the best. I love you. I love you. I love Allison. I love you together. I love you separately. Yeah. I love all of our time together. I'm just, I, I, it's an honor to do this. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah, I'm glad we, I'm glad we waited because I remember I asked you maybe a year ago or something. Yeah. And you were getting some social media heat, you know. Oh my God. And you're like, ah, this might be a little too controversial. I'm like, I get it. No problem. We'll wait. Yeah. Wait till the dust clears a little bit and people have settled down. Yeah. Uh, so tell us about, about your podcast. I have a podcast called The Bathroom Chronicles with Peggy Romito. Peggy's one of my best friends and um, she's an intuitive expert. She teaches she actually teaches people on getting in touch with their own intuition. She definitely has inspired me in that way. And I think she's been one of those friends that has held my hand as I get deeply rooted in myself and my own understandings of the world. Um, 
we do it in the bathroom because, you know, if if ladies are at a dinner together and they go to the bathroom, they come back and they're updated. Just so you guys know. Yeah, I've, like the, I've observed that. To the be ladies true. are updated and uh, the bathroom is its own portal. Like, you know, you could take a riff on all these things, but it's really true. Like you let shit go, you process, you, you know, you laugh together, you cry together. It's just historically been the place where women go and they connect. And if you're a parent, you go and you take a deep breath or you take a little extra time because you need it. You know, there's so many stigmas about the bathroom and I think it's one of the most sacred places. And you look in the mirror and maybe you look at your own eyes and you get curious about your own self. So yeah, that's why we decided to do a podcast in the bathroom. And you're enjoying it so far? I love it. Yeah. I do not like having to do all the things outside of just talking. (laughs) Like I love going and sitting with my friends and people I love and talking and the rest like, oh. I know, I know. Well, I'm glad you you stuck with it. I mean, uh, in the years I've been doing this, seven years or whatever it's been, so many of my friends are like, you know, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm like, hey, good for you. I encourage you to do so. But just know that the... It's kind of like um, when you're a musician, right? All of the songwriting and recording and rehearsing and waiting around and all the things, the time you actually spend on stage doing the thing is is a small portion of all the work that goes into it. And I'm like, there's a lot that goes into, I mean, if you want to, you know, like scale a podcast and make it a thing and it's not just like a total just for fun hobby, but if, you know, you want to make it a thing, man, there's a lot lot that goes into it. Way more than you would expect. Oh my God. Yeah. That's how I always tell people just if, if it's going to be part of, you know, and I don't know what your um, business aspirations are with it, but I'm like the tipping point is when you can get the podcast generating enough revenue where it at least pays for its expenses of production to get you as the host as far out of production as you can be. Because that's what, you know, started to burn me out in the beginning. It's just like... Any of it that's not the conversation started to become a drag really fast. And so I figured out, okay, I have to make money with this thing somehow so I can hire other people to do every single thing except the part that we're doing right now, which is the part that I'm best suited for anyway. It was a different brain set, right? Like there are times in my life where I've done this, I've set up, I've like structured everything and that I've thrived in that space. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's it's hard to cross over and do both. It's almost like compartmentalizing it and you just You're accomplish so, right. so much more. You're so right. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I had the same experience because I used to work as a fashion stylist for ages and um, I enjoy being on behind the camera, right? And just the logistics part of it. And there was some, you know, creativity in that too, but the logistics part of it is a totally different mind than the intuitive um, empathy feeling part of having a conversation or creating a piece of art or performing in some way or something. It really is a different thing. And it's it's very hard to switch back and forth for me. It's Yeah, it's very different. Well, the podcast right now for me is like the violin. Like you stick, you stick to it, you see how you feel. All I know is when I'm there with Peggy doing the podcast, I'm there with my whole heart and we have a great time and we cry and we laugh and it's very much actually like I I think this is a unique podcast for you and that we're doing a lot of like get to know this for me on the podcast is a lot of this I love this stuff 
you know, because once we get to know anybody's story, we really realize that we're not alone. There's yeah. really no hierarchy. We're all figuring shit out, you know, and we've all <laughs> screwed up a million times over if oh, we're being yeah. honest. And, you know, I just love that. Yeah, I do too. I can't yeah. wait to come on. I think we have a recording booked at some point here in the future. I think in like a week. Is it? Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited because yeah. I've never seen, I've only listened to it. I haven't watched, you guys shoot video of it? Yeah, we do. Yeah, I haven't seen the video. So I'm kind of like, I don't want to even know what the set, the setup is. I just kind of want to walk in and be surprised. Oh, you can know? I tell you one secret? Okay. Okay. My favorite thing is that we don't have a table, we have a sink, right? So there's something about sitting across the sink that just doesn't happen too often that is just fun. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And what uh, what else do you have going on? You know, now, I mean, obviously you have your hands full with being a mother, but you mentioned getting a little more help with that and kind of taking your life back. I know when you came by the other day and you were a little under the weather, you're like, oh my God, I haven't taken, I haven't done anything for myself in months or years. And I was like, yo, come over. You, okay. Gave I have you some, to... Got you some methylene blue, put you on the biocharger, did some ozone and you're just like, I haven't done this forever. I'm like, what? I feel spoiled now because I'm doing this every day. You're such a good friend for me. I came over, I was not feeling well and I got the Luke and Allison treatment. So I came, I sat down, you literally brought over all these supplements, you walked me through each thing and I'm really educated in this stuff. I mean, that was my job at one point. Yeah. Like, but I actually learned even more or there were intuitive things like I was in a meditation and it was like, you need fulvic acid. I'm like, Fulvic acid, okay. And you brought me a product that had it in it. Mana, yeah. Yeah, the Mana Shilajit. And yeah. and um, the way that you sat with me and you looked at me and you explained to me everything. And then you took me to your healing room with all these devices, game-changing devices, <laughs> by the way. The you like bio the biocharger. charger yeah. is amazing. Yeah, I loved, I loved that you love that so much because it's hard to explain to people and some people sit with it and they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. And some people like you are like, holy shit, what is this thing? I'm like, yes, finally, you know. Wait, some people go in and they're not sure that it's doing something? Some people are less sensitive to energy, I would say, or, oh, or less aware of their sensitivity to energy. That's like in your face to me. Yeah. It was just like, so powerful. And I called James. I was like, I know what it's like to be taken care of now. Like, I was like, oh my gosh. And then Allison came in. You guys are yin yang. And she came in with the incense and the feather and the thing. And I was just like, it was amazing. I was in heaven. Yeah. Thank you. It's it's you you're moving into receiving mode now. You know, yes. it's time. I like receiving. I yeah. also have other things happening. Yeah. Right so now. what I'm, yeah, what else do you have going on now that you're, you know, kind of moving into an, another phase in your life? Well, I got the podcast. I think that we would love to do fun things like go live events or something in the future and just keep connection happening. Really, that's what that one's about for me. And um, and I think Peggy as well. And then I'm starting a really cool business, which I'm having so much fun with uh, that has to do with the beauty industry. And I'll share more on that later. But for me, it's really about when you're capturing somebody in the mirror, somebody young for the first time, is it about altering your appearance right away or is it something else? And it's about capturing that moment where we're deciding how we feel when we first look in the mirror. 
And um, and I have a few other things happening, but I got to pace myself because I, I was such a worker bee before I had kids. And I know that I, yeah, I'm definitely going to need to pace myself. Right on. Well, I'm excited for you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm pumped. And anytime you want to come over and get rejuvenated, I tell all my friends here that all the time, like come over anytime. And they think I'm probably just saying that, but I love that, especially when someone... It's just the inner healer, you know. I don't yeah. use, I don't call myself a healer. I probably should because that's really what I am. That's what you did for me. <laughs> but but it's something I really and I enjoy being of service in that way. It's it's really fun to take someone who's kind of depleted in whatever way and just apply some inputs and introduce them to some tools. There's a I get a huge satisfaction in like the before and after effect. Like I'll be looking at you like, how do you feel? How do you feel? You know? Yeah. Like, and I love when it works, you know? And someone's like, damn, you know what? I do feel better. I just love that. Oh yeah. It so really fun. took the edge off and started this unraveling for me. And just cool. but also just feeling cared for. Yeah. Like yeah. that was really big. Like yeah. Yeah. Right yeah. on. Right I appreciate on. it. I appreciate you. Well, thanks for uh, making the time. Thanks for it's having me. It's been fun. Me. I feel like I finally got to ask you all the things that I haven't asked you when we've been together before. So Yeah, apparently you would have not liked me in junior high. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we might have found commonality in, in, in some ways. Yeah, maybe not musically. But, you know, like when I was a kid too, it's, um, I, don't, I don't think it's this way so much nowadays from what I observe in terms of like, you can like different types of music now, I think, as a young person, and that's acceptable. Not that you don't have your little tribal clans and stuff, but in, in my day, like in junior high and high school, like if you were into heavy metal and punk rock, yeah, like you wouldn't be caught dead listening to any other kind of music or hanging out with any kids that didn't just like that. That's you know, it, true. It would seem to be much more siloed. Than, than it is now. I know. Back in the day, it was more compartmentalized. I is is have, that true or is that just my no, perception No, it? it absolutely was. Like you were like a rocker or you were a jock. Like there was not a lot of intermingling. Well, we can watch Clueless and understand how back in the day it used to work. Right. right? <laughs> right. But, um, well, not really, but and really. Um, I have one more thing I didn't share with you. Because you were going into my life and you asked me about my siblings and all that. Yeah, I found out when I was in my mid twenty. I found out like twenty six, I think, that I have two other sisters. Whoa! Yeah. So my biological father, who I have a good relationship with now, um, and an appreciation for, had two daughters, and I've met one of them. Wow! Wow! How interesting! I know, isn't that wild? Huh. Oh, by the way, you have siblings. And how old you were you when you learned of this? 26, 27. Wow. 27, I think. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And why have you only met one and not the other? Because so he flies private planes and he flew one into LA and brought her oh, okay. and not the other one. Oh, okay. That's wow. it. Yeah. Wow. And what was what was that like for you? Was there a, an arc of um, I don't know betrayal is the right word, but did you did you have to uh, reconcile um, that being withheld from you, or any kind of deception about that? Or 
No, I was very curious. And I was like, oh, what's my capacity to build these new relationships? Like I felt like I was a little bit at capacity. Um, it's a tender unfolding, mm-hmm. you know, probably for them too. Because they, they've known about me. Oh, wow. So how about you've had an older sister huh. that is not in your life and she hasn't been in your life. There's got to be some level of like, yeah, you know. Well, see, there you go. You immediately went to, I wonder what their experience is like. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. not in a bad way. But that's, that's what I do in general. And I think that compassion is really important. Like, really, we can diffuse almost anything by doing that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's the thing too, as you get older and hopefully wiser. I mean, this is definitely true when you think about your parents and things they did that we perceive to be mistakes or things that hurt us or whatever. As you get older, you realize like your parents didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Just like you don't, you know what I'm saying? My parents were, I think, 27 when they had me. I mean, God forbid I would have had any kids when I was 27 and like what their life would have been like it would have been there are two parts horrific you know so it's like i think it's a it's a great gift and skill to be able to put yourself in other people's shoes and imagine what their experience has been like not to you know condone bad behavior or forgive people that maybe don't deserve a depth of forgiving and things like that but i mean just in a general way it's it's a really valuable skill to have you know, and, and helps one to um, have diplomacy and just kind of understanding that you can't always blame everyone else because every single person, as bad as they're doing, is literally doing the very best they can. No one wakes up in the morning and is like, all right, how can I be the shittiest person today and have the least success in everything I do? Like everyone is just surviving and doing their best and sometimes their best is not great. Not everybody's surviving. Well, I mean, we're all making decisions that we think... I've been in survival mode and I I know what that was. You know what I mean? So, yes, there is the ability to thrive. And I want to say that for anybody that is surviving. But I I love that we're fitting this at the very end because we have two things, right? When we're dealing with ourselves and when we're dealing with our kids. And it's like you can have compassion and you can look at from another perspective and that helps you have compassion. And I think forgiveness can be a natural thing that occurs after that as opposed to a thing that we force ourselves to do, right? But then the other part is to hold the hand of the child or the feeling or the emotion that may be somewhere held in the body and give that space. And that's a completely different thing to do. So you can do both simultaneously. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. I love it. Yeah. Okay, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming by. This has been really fun. Yeah. 